Hey folks, it's Cody Stoffer with Playmakers Corner, here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720-979-1914 to learn more today. That's coderedcoaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm Gideon, and today I'm going to be going over the 1A scores and outcomes from this week in Colorado football, that being week seven, going from October the 5th to October the 7th. I'm currently recording this at about 1130 on Sunday, October 8th, so if I say that stats are not in yet, please do not complain, because they are just not in yet. So, heading into this, we are going to start with Manuel taking down Flatirons Academy, 50 to 26. So there is no box score for this one yet, but all around, it looks like Manuel just had their way with the Bison, probably eliminating the Bison from the playoff picture from here on out. Uh, Manuel is currently second in that league, I believe, so that's going to be a league to keep a close eye on. Next up, we have Ignacio beating center 53 to 18. Uh, we see Ignacio, they had a really, really solid game here. Again, no box score, no stats yet, but pretty solid here by the Bobcats to take down the Vikings. Next up on the slate for the Friday set of games, we have Lyman, the Badgers, defeating the Ray Eagles 35-7. to There is no, uh, well, Lyman has input stats here. So we have Jordan Rockwell going 10 for 13, passing for 160 yards and an interception. Uh, Rushing-wise, uh, it's not Logan Botyer at the lead in this one. It's Keon Bandy, 11 carries for 100 yards. Uh, Logan Botyer, 76 yards. Rockwell with 36. And Skylar McCready, or McGreedy uh, for 15. Receiving-wise, we see that the, later, the leader there was Jaden Martinez, two receptions for 78 yards. Cale Bennett with 25 yards. Lance Beattie with 25. And then N. Kuntz with 14. Uh, That is all of the stats that we have. No touchdowns, special teams, or defensive stats, but all around, Lyman just continuing to prove they're the team we think they are. Holyoke doing the same here, though. They beat Wiggins 34-14. There are no box score stats from this one as of yet, but... Uh, I will say that I still have Lyman ahead of Holyoke just because when Holyoke played Ray, Ray did play the Dragons a little bit closer. So, yeah, Lyman is Lyman. There's not much that anyone can do to stop him at this point in the season. However, looking at more mortal teams, we see the Cedar Ridge Bruins falling to the Gunnison Cowboys, 38-14. All around, uh, we do have a... uh, (laughs) We do have a score tracker, but it doesn't have any any numbers on there. So all around, it's just, yeah, we see that Gunnison absolutely destroyed Cedar Ridge. Cedar Ridge's playoff hopes are probably over. I'm not sure why Max Preps was over-evaluating them like that, but it is what it is. 
another team whose playoff hopes are somehow still intact, uh, even though they are 1-5 in five, are the Burlington Cougars. That fifth loss coming to Yuma, 38-12. to 12. Uh, Yuma has input stats for this one. We see uh, Jonathan Thompson, 3-for-6 completion-wise for 81 yards and an interception. Uh, he also rushed, though, for 141 yards and two touchdowns. We see the second in that category was Silas Bach, 106 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Damon Kaczynski, 33 rushing yards. And then receiving-wise, we see Brody Sheffield, a sophomore, 68 receiving yards on two catches. And then uh, Damian Kosinski, 13 yards on one catch. Uh, further, we see that at the lead on the defensive board is Thompson again with 13 tackles, one for loss. Behind him, though, we have four different guys with six tackles. Hugo Montez, Trey Stegman, Sheffield, and then uh, Kovarubius also had six. We see, we see Bach had five. We see a few guys here with four. That's Marvin Duarte, Kaczynski, Christian Munoz, and Carson Lynch. And then Aiden Carranza, C. Thompson, and then Rayleigh Trujillo, or Trejo, sorry, uh, each had three. Uh, Lynch also did have an interception for three yards. Uh, Ian Duran, he had a pass deflection, the freshman. Uh, Kavarubius, he had a blocked punt. Adrian Carranza and Montez also had a punt, a punt uh, uh, not a punt deflection, a, a pass deflection as well. We see Thompson had six kickoffs for 215 yards, averaging about 36 yards per. He had a kickoff return for eight yards. Uh, Kaczynski and Montez each had a couple of kickoff returns. Uh, Montez for seven yards and Kaczynski for six. And yeah, that's all I see here. Uh, all around really solid game by Jonathan Thompson. Uh, the best stat line I've seen so far of the like three stat lines I have seen, but really solid job there. Next up, though, we do have a barn burner where Colorado Springs Christian School took down the Rye Thunderbolts 42 to 34. So really, really close game here. Uh, Rye has not input stats yet, but we see that for the Colorado Springs Christian School Lions, Jace Velasquez, 11 for 15 for 137 yards and a touchdown there. He also had 75 rushing yards and two scores. Will Moore, the junior, 31 carries for 185 yards and three touchdowns is insane. Uh, we also see that Drew Heasley uh, in the air. He had 54 receiving yards and a touchdown. Behind him in that category were Silas Eschel with 32 yards. Michael Olas and Cody Glojek each had 18 receiving yards, and Eddie Harmon had 15. Looking at it, though, we do see defensively, Eddie Harmon had 15 tackles, one for loss. Nick Larson, he had nine. Uh, Daniel Hoggard, a sophomore, he had eight. Uh, ben Donahue had seven and one for loss. Uh, Mikey Orowich had six. Clody Glow... Gloyek, uh, he had five, along with Longhofer, who's a freshman. Uh, Liam Smith, also a freshman, he had four, and Olas had three. Uh, we also see Olas, he had half a sack and a hurry, and then Longhofer also had a hurry there. Gloyek, uh, he had an interception as well. 
uh, Orowich, he had a pass deflection. Silas, a shield, he had a force fumble. And uh, Olas had a blocked punt. And all around, we see a lot of freshmen getting playing time for this uh, for this Carter Springs Christian team. Uh, we see uh, we see Pierce Uberoth or Eberoth. He uh, he's the punter as well. Uh, he's going to get a hang of that. And then Sam Costner, six for six on PAT. So this may not be a team that I mean they may make the playoffs this year, but they're yeah they're the 12th seed right now. So. This is a game that's certainly going to boost those chances. Another team who is in the hunt, though, are the Peyton Panthers, who took down the Ellicott Thunderhawks 20-18 to here. So looking at it, both teams do have stats, so thank you for that. Uh, we see Noah Martin, 3-for-4 four for 40 yards, and Colton Cobb, 1-for-1 one for, one for 21 yards. Cobb also had 23 rushing yards, but Landon Hadley is the man for this team. 123 rushing yards and a touchdown. Noah Martin with 68 yards. Brian Kearings, uh 28 yards. And then Lucas Boyvert, a, uh, a senior offensive lineman who I, I remember we have him on our watch list. He had a single carry for one yard and a touchdown. So it sounds like that may have either been a sort of direct snap or some sort of keep or even a fumble. A fumble recovery, that is. Uh, we also see Kureen's uh, three receptions for 40 yards and a touchdown. Carson Murray, one catch for 21 yards. And tackle-wise, Josiah Zimmerman, the freshman, 19 tackles in this one. Hunter Trim with 12, two for loss. Chase Evans... Richard Cole, Boyvert, and Liam McKinroy, each with nine tackles here. McKinroy, uh, or no, not McKinroy, uh, Boyvert, he had four for, four for loss there. Uh, so uh, then we have uh, Daniel Ornalis and Colton Hanks with seven, Carson Murray with six, and Kirians with three. Uh, Sack-wise, we see McKinroy, he had a sack for eight yards, and then Hunter Trim and Boyvert each shared a, they shared a sack with each other. Zimmerman, though, he also did have an interception for one yard and a forced fumble. Uh, Carson Murray and Hunter Trim also each had forced fumbles, and Boyvert did rush for a conversion. Dang, they are putting this fella all over the place here. Uh, the senior lineman, 6'3", six, six, three, six, three, 245 pounds. I, that, that, that's just kind of wild to me. But now for Ellicott, they did put up a hell of a fight in this one. Led by Jedrick Howarth, he was 3-for-7 uh, for 56 yards. One touchdown to one interception. Uh, we see rushing-wise, uh, Jonathan Sfeen, 60 yards, uh, Bonilla, 55 yards. Howarth with 33 yards and a touchdown. Receiving, the main guy uh, yard-wise was Conaher Briggs, 31 yards. Antonio Bonilla, 13 yards and a touchdown. And then Tavon Flewellen, 12 yards. Further, we see that uh, in terms of the tackle category, Bonilla, he had 12. Briggs had 6. Howarth had 5. Alan Kuhn and Xavier Hoyle each had four. And then Dawson Pickett had three and a tackle for loss. Uh, Briggs had a forced fumble. And then uh, we see Pickett actually forced a safety, which is kind of interesting. 
So I guess we're seeing where that other point uh, came from. So we see that uh, Howarth and Bonilla each had a touchdown, and uh, Bonilla had a conversion, Howarth had a conversion, and then that safety helped to keep it close there. So it was actually... Ellicott actually had the lead by four heading into the fourth quarter, but Peyton scored a touchdown, and that is what gave them the win in this one. So really, really solid job in this game. But next up, we're going to head on to Middle Park, who defeated Jefferson 48-20. to uh, No box score yet, but kind of expected. Middle Park also trying to stay in the playoff hunt. Next up, we have... Estes Park taking down the pinnacle 58-6. to uh, No box score yet, so looking at it, this is kind of what I expected this game to be. The pinnacle is they, they need to find their stride sometime in the next couple of years. Otherwise, they're in real trouble. Um, yeah, ne- yeah, Holyoke Wiggins. Holyoke wins 34-14. No box score on that one yet. Then we also have Strasburg defeating Denver Christian 64-7. Again, no box score. And finally, we have Monte Vista taking down Trinidad 64 to 12. Monte Vista has input stats, and we see Caden Madrid 5 for 7 for 102 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Madrid, he also had 11 rushing yards, but the leader was Jacob Pacheco, 111 yards for two touchdowns. Kevin Cisnero, 77 yards and two scores. Alex Marquez with 28 yards and a touchdown. Further, we see receiving Azariah Hurtado, 93 receiving yards for three touchdowns. Alex Marquez, one catch for nine yards. Uh, then on defense, Chase Boyette, 11 tackles. Uh, Jay Baumgardner, 10 tackles. Alex Marquez with seven. We see Hurtado, uh, Ishmael Medina, and Jack Noonan each had six. Caden Malott and Cisneros had four. And then Eli Baumgardner. Carlos Sigala, Jose Samaripa, and uh, Jay Enderley each had three tackles. In terms of sacks, they had a field day out there. Baumgardner had two, and then Boyette, Madrid, and uh, Jay Naranjo each had one. Uh, Baumgardner had 21 yards lost on those sacks, by the way, which is awesome. Uh, Hurtado, he had two interceptions for 103 yards, so it looks like he had a hell of a time there. Uh, we also see a forced fumble in there. Uh, Judah Howe, one interception for 45 yards there. Uh, Howe, also a freshman. Alex Marquez had two pass deflections, and then Jose Castro, he had one. Um, Boyette. Baum, uh, Jay Baumgardner and Jay Villa Gomez each had a fumble recovery. And then Boyette and Baumgardner each forced a fumble as well. In terms of kickoffs, Noranio, 10 kickoffs for 400 yards. So averaging 40 yards per kickoff, long of 60, one touchback there. Really, really solid from the freshman. Going to be keeping an eye on him for sure. Uh, no, no punts in this game for Monte Vista. Just all around dominance here. And yeah, this was a really, really solid game. Uh, yeah, uh, Hurtado he did get an interception return touchdown there, so that's four for him on the game, along with the con- uh, receiving conversion. So I'm gonna be keeping an eye on Azariah uh, Hurtado 
in terms of playmaker of the week there. And now that we're done with Friday's matchups, we're going to move on to Saturday's. So in terms of Saturday's games, we only have four, uh, one of which will be really easy. Highland beat Sheridan by forfeit. Uh, Sheridan, I... Yeah, no, I have feelings about that, but I'm not going to say them right now. Um, next up, though, we do have Clear Creek falling to Platte Canyon, 46-0. to Clear Creek, they are having a better season than I thought they'd have, but they are completely out of the playoff hunt entirely. But Jacob Young is somebody who I still think is going to develop into a really solid quarterback, probably. I think, I, I think he could be a D2 guy, potentially. However, next though we do have Centauri defeating Del Norte 46 or 42 to 6, sorry. Um, the the Falcons just absolutely decimating the Del Norte Tigers here. I mean, yeah, there, there are there isn't a box score yet, but when oh my god, apparently it was 42-0 in the first quarter according to the score tracker. And Centauri just kind of ran out the clock after that however after that we have the uh, the game of the weekend everyone's probably waiting to hear about meeker versus buena vista or buena vista sorry uh there is no box score for this one yet either but the meeker cowboys would top the the buena vista demons 42 to 7 uh in the first quarter, it was 14-7, to but as things went on, a lot... I mean, they were only... Uh, Buena Vista was only down 21-7 to at half, but then, yeah, like, fumble return touchdown, rushing conversion, passing touchdown, rushing touchdown. Meeker... <laughs> oh my goodness, the, the commentary here on the... Uh, on the score tracker is it it says this tough break for the demons playing their heart out but meeker is just too strong so that kind of sums up that game for you that's all that i really have for uh for the 1a recap for this week tune in to see what cody has to say about who i chose for playmaker of the week in this one uh here's a hint i went to go watch the uh, the peyton versus ellicott film and it was very hard to find, uh, or at least find the point at which this uh, the tide turned in that one. Now we'll do a quick discussion on the playoff picture in 1A, where, okay, so I'm going to be using the Chassa Selection and Seating Index, but the thing about it is that the Max Preps part of it has not been updated since last week. I'm recording this today on Sunday, October 8th at about 12.15 a.m., so most of this is going off of the RPI, not the not the max preps data. But one through ten looks like this right now. Lyman, Holyoke, Meeker, Buena Vista, Strasburg, Wiggins, Gunnison, Ray, North Fork, Banning Lewis. It's good to see Banning Lewis in there. I feel like regardless of if they win or lose to Colorado Springs Christian, as long as it's close, they'll be in. Uh, 11 is Centauri. Uh, Centauri, I feel like they're a really strong team. But looking at their schedule, they had a really tough break at the top at the beginning of the season against Pagosa. Uh, they lost to Buena Vista. But right now, they only have Trinidad and Monte Vista left on the schedule. 
I mean, they're guaranteed at least one and one. They are not losing to Trinidad. But then comes Monte Vista. I think Monte Vista is a team that is overperforming this year, and they are the 16 seed right now. But yeah, they're they're a team that is overperforming this year compared to what they lost. I feel like that is a game that Monte Vista could potentially win. And if they do, that puts Centauri in the type of position where for a few weeks they are really vulnerable to everything else going on in the state. And I don't feel particularly good about, or for a week, they're vulnerable to everything else going on. So I feel like if they lose that game to Monte Vista, they're out of the playoffs. Because the league champions are going to have to be accounted for. And at least one league, which is the league that Manuel and Highland and all of them are in, that's the uh, 1A Longs Peak League, none of their teams are in the playoffs right now by the seeding index. So at least, so the 16 seed, unless they're a league champion, is going to get knocked out. So if Centauri loses that game to Monte Vista, it's bye-bye to the Falcons. Next up is Colorado Springs Christian, who are another team vastly outperforming my expectations. They have Banning Lewis, Ellicott, and Peyton left. I feel like they should, keyword should, go 2-3 and three here. Or not 2-3, and 2-1 and one here. Uh, like, not saying that they're going to lose to Banning Lewis, but looking at it, they should be Ellicott and they should be Peyton. If they lose to Ellicott, I don't know what to tell you. They're out. If they lose to Peyton, they're not out-out, but odds are that they're starting to get there. Um, Banning Lewis is going to be a really close game. I think Simon said that he wanted to go to that one. It's going to be a fun one. Um, Banning Lewis is another team on the cusp. As long as they play it close, I think both of these teams can make the playoffs in the 1A Tri-Peaks. It'll just be tough. Um, but I think both teams could make the playoffs as like a 10 to 12 seed-ish. About the same place where CSCS was last year. Next up is Cedar Ridge, who I thought they were going to be in a worse position. Uh, they just lost to Gunnison by a blowout. And they have Estes Park for some reason. Uh, they don't have a game next week, but week after they have Estes Park as a non-league game. And then they have Buena Vista. They are losing to Buena Vista. I feel very comfortable saying that. Um, yeah, since they lost to Meeker the way they did, and yeah, no, they are losing to Buena Vista. Then the question becomes Estes Park, because Estes Park is another team that is really fighting for a playoff spot. They're at the 24 seed, but they could potentially win their league if they do it right. So I, I see this being a closer game with Estes Park and Cedar Ridge, but I don't think Cedar Ridge is going to hang on, if I'm being completely honest. I think they're going to fall outside, especially when it comes to the league champions, because they've already lost to North Fork and Meeker. Those are two playoff locks. Buena Vista is a playoff lock. They're not winning this league. So, next up, we have the Yuma Yuma, who I, I feel could go either way. Um, because... I mean, they lost to Wiggins to open the league, but then they beat Burlington. But now they have to face Ray Holyoke and Lyman. 
I don't feel good about the Yuma. That is hell of a league schedule. Um, because you're going to have to go through the gauntlet that is Samuel Meisner and Casey Midcap, the Sprague brothers, and then Lyman. You are not beating two of those. If you beat one of those, you'll get lucky. But I do not think that beating... I, I do not think they're making the playoffs. Because they are the 14 seed right now. Most realistic is that they go 0-3 here. Like, maybe 1-2. and two, But they're not beating Holyoke. They're not beating Lyman. They might beat Ray. So I don't think Yuma's making it. Then we come to a more realistic team that I think is going to rise. We have Platte Canyon. The Huskies, like, looking at the schedule, they are undefeated right now. I have a feeling they're going to go 2-1 and one with the rest of their schedule. Because they have Denver Christian, who, I mean, they are, they're half solid. They're not, like, a bad team. Uh, they're 2-4. and four. They're not great. And then they have Middle Park, who has shown that they can perform. They did it against Estes Park. They've gone all over the place and... I mean, again, that is another pretty okay team. They're 3-3 three and three right now. I think if Platte Canyon wins those two games, it doesn't matter what happens against Strasburg. Just put, some, put a couple points on the board, and you're going to be a playoff squad. You're not winning that league with Strasburg in it. Because um, I, I think that Platte Canyon has had an easier schedule but if an 8-1 and one team does not make the playoffs, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> uh, then we have Monte Vista, who we went over a little bit earlier. But Monte Vista, I do believe that they should they should make the playoffs. Uh, the, the only challenge really left in front of them is Centauri. Um, we talked about that a little bit earlier. That'll be a bit of a challenge. L- I, I kind of want to see what Centauri does against Trinidad since Monte Vista just played them. But Monte Vista is at least going 2-1 and one here, beating Ignacio and beating Center. Now, that the most realistic end record for this team is 6-3, and three, so we'll see how that goes for them. I, I think they have a decent shot, but they have to bank on some league champions. Oh, God, I was dreading this part. Because next we have Burlington. And Burlington is 1-4. Five and they're the 17 seed. Like, this legit... This just pisses me off. Because I don't care how good they... They're not even playing close. The only good team that they have played is Goodlands in Kansas. They beat them by 11. They lost by 7 to Lamar, who isn't that good. They lost to La Junta by 42. They lost to Elizabeth by 21. They lost to Lyman by 40. And here they lose to Yuma by 26. So... Next up, they have Wiggins, Ray, and Holyoke. They're going to lose to all three. This is a team that's going to go 1-8. and eight. I hate that they were in the playoffs last year. I hate that they are even this close to the hunt as a 1-5 team this year when the next 1-5 team is the 27th seed in Del Norte. I'm sorry I'm getting fired up about this, but this is a team that shouldn't be in the conversation at all. And a team that should be in the conversation is Manuel, who's the 18th seed right behind them. And here's where I start to calm down a little bit again. So, Manuel, next up, they have Estes Park, the Pinnacle, and Highland. They are beating the Pinnacle. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The thing is, they are second in the Longs, P- in the Longs Peak League. 
And this is a team that only four teams are somewhat competitive. Two of them are iffy. Realistically, I only see three teams from this league making the playoffs, and I'll just I'll just talk about them all here. You have Highland, who is currently the ninth, who, who is currently the twenty seed. You have Manuel, who is currently the eighteen seed, and you have Estes Park, who's at twenty four right now. One of these teams is going to win the league championship and kick out the sixteen seed. I. I'm going to be at Highland versus Manual. That's going to be what decides who goes to the playoffs and who continues. But I don't know. This this one's really tough because Highland, I mean, honestly, one of their wins is only by forfeit over Sheridan. Manual has shown they can do it. Honestly, I favor Manual here. They, they have wins over Jefferson... And Grand Grand Valley and Flatirons. Meanwhile, Highland slightly sketchier here. Uh, they've, I mean, they've played a lot of really good teams. Looking at it, like they've played the teams they've lost to are all top ten squads in their classifications: Ray, Kent, Wellington, Kent, Denver, and University. They blasted Estes Park, and obviously they beat Sheridan uh, by forfeit. But their only challenge left is manual. That that game against Flatirons is not going to be very competitive. I feel pretty solid about Highland winning this league now that I think more about it. Because they beat Estes Park, I don't think Estes Park is going to get in because the best they can do now is match uh, Highland and Manuel's records and on tiebreaker, Highland would get that. And then Highland, I think, is going to beat Manuel. But again, I'll be at that game. So we'll see. Next up, we have the Rye Thunderbolts at the 19 seed right now. Uh, they did just lose to Colorado, Colorado Springs Christian. But outside of that, the only game that they have lost was to Salida. And here's the thing. They only have Peyton, Banning Lewis, and Rocky Ford here. They should go 2-1. and one. Problem is that this is a team that is that if they snag one of those seeds, it'll be a lower seed. Because CSCS, they're a good team, but they're the 12 seed. Salida is the loss that really hurts them because that's a team that has no business beating Rye, if I'm being honest. They're not like they're another team that's in the playoff hunt, but not great. So. I feel like Rye probably won't make it, unfortunately. Dylan Hearn is an amazing athlete, but there's only so much he can do. Uh, Of the teams that are left here, uh, the only one that I haven't really touched on is a 21 seed, uh, Denver Christian, who, again, really solid for a second-year program, but not great. Uh, they have wins over the Pinnacle and Middle Park, losses to Banning Lewis, CSCS, and Estes Park. Their league schedule remaining looks like this. Platte Canyon, Clear Creek, Jefferson. I honestly think they're going to go... Hell, they may go 0-3. Clear Creek is a team that I think is going to... I think that's a trap game for Denver Christian. Jefferson, 
is a team with a lot of really good defensive playmakers. If they get a win, that'll be the one they get. And Platte Canyon is a team that is really fighting for a spot. They That is a must-win game for Platte Canyon to get second in this league behind Strasburg. And there is absolutely no way... Yeah, no. I, I think that their most realistic record here is one and two. So Denver Christian, I think, is firmly out. But that is it for me today for the 1A stuff here. Uh, listen back later for my recaps of Fossil Ridge versus Fort Collins and Pooter versus Rocky Mountain in the 5A Northern League. Hope you all are having a beautiful day. And I will talk to you all soon. Peace. What is going on, everybody? Gino here with the Playmakers Corner podcast, and I am back here covering 2A for week seven for y'all. Um, we had a lot of games this week with a lot of playoff implications, and pretty much all of them being league games. So let's go ahead and jump right into these Thursday games here. In our first Thursday game, we had Steamboat Springs beat the Academy by a score of 30 to 20. Jace Farmer had a 149-yard, three-touchdown game here for the Academy, but he would also throw for two picks on 13 of 24 passing. Also for the Academy, we had Ben Merillat, Sean Smith, and Tony Fabian all caught touchdowns for the Wildcats. And neither team is looking like they're going to squeeze into the playoffs unless Steamboat somehow wins out, Uh, but we'll see how it shakes out here in the next couple of weeks. Next game here, we have Englewood 40, Alameda 0. So some stats for Englewood here. Carson Campbell went 9 for 14, 171 yards and 3 TDs and no picks. And it looks like the rushing yard stats haven't been put in, but it looks like Deion Robinson ran for a touchdown and Rick Johnson also ran for two touchdowns. Receiving Dominic Dever had another great game here with 5 receptions for 110 yards. And Deion Robinson also caught two receptions for 44 yards. Next game here, we have Timnith 27, Arvada 42. Arvada gets back on track here with a nice win over Timnith, and we had the usual suspects contributing. Trevor Lucero and Jariah Ariano both add to their MVP slash Offensive Player of the Year campaigns with a 17 for 24 three-touchdown passing performance along with 84 yards and a touchdown rushing for Lucero. And then Ariano, you already know he got his fair share of production, putting up a monster, 122 yards, three touchdowns on six receptions. A couple two-way players here, Christian Lake and Brandon Martinez made an impact. Lake had four receptions for 30 yards on offense and 10 tackles, a sack, a 99-yard fumble recovery touchdown on defense, and then Martinez had three receptions for for 62 yards on offense, and then seven tackles, a pick six, and a tackle for loss on defense. For Timnith, it was a nice game for the Hochalter brothers with the freshman Yvonne putting up 11 tackles, a forced fumble, and recovery, and he also had two tackles for loss. His brother Vince had nine tackles, a tackle for loss, and a rushing touchdown on offense. It was also a big game on special teams for Davis Payne, who had 227 total kick return yards, 
192 yards and a touchdown on four kickoff returns, and then another 35 yards on two punt returns. So for playoff implication, Arvada needs to put up a fight against University next week, and they need to get wins over Sterling and Weld Central if they want to continue to cling on to those last few playoff spots. It would reflect well on on Jari Ariano's and Trevor Lucero's award hopes if they can get them into the playoffs. Just saying. Next game here, we have Brush 41, Sterling 13. No stats here for Brush, but for Sterling, we got 126 yards on 18 carries on offense and 14 tackles and two tackles for loss on defense for Carter Yeager. So big game on both sides for him. And then Gage Parker put up 135 yards and two touchdowns on six catches. Uh, Brush is looking really good for playoffs, honestly. They are in the 10 to 12 range right now, and I can confidently say I don't think anyone wants to play them in the first round or honestly any round for that matter. Next game here, we got Weld Central 27, University 56. For University, Cole Croissant had himself a four-touchdown game, three touchdowns and 88 yards on 11 carries, and then he also put up 92 yards and a touchdown on 9 of 20 passing. Rushing the ball, Brevin Doss had 166 yards on eight carries, and Jacob Cruz had 83 yards and a touchdown on seven carries. Cruz also had an interception on defense. And then speaking of both sides, Will Corby caught a touchdown, then he also had an interception on defense, and then Johnny Wyrick had a rushing touchdown and an interception on defense as well. For Weld Central, it looks like freshman Brian Stalkup had three interceptions. So, good job, Brian. Um, for University, uh, they are a they are firmly in a playoff spot right now, but um, they need to watch out with potential trap games against Arvada and Brush coming up in back to back weeks. Yeah, Arvada is definitely looking to get a more secure playoff spot, and of course, Brush is always dangerous. So, keep an eye out for those games. Now let's go ahead and dive right into these Friday games. First off, we have Bennett 40, Devlin 49. We got a playmaker worthy of the wor- playmaker of the week worthy performance from Kevin Felden. The sophomore QB had himself six TDs and 258 yards through the air on 15 of 25 passing. In the backfield, Noah Allen had 163 yards and a touchdown on only 13 carries. And it was just three receivers in this one. Brad Fuller had 116 yards and four touchdowns. Huge game from him. Adam DeWen added 92 yards and two touchdowns. And then Garrett Colhauer had 50 yards. Um, and all three of these receivers had f- f- uh, five receptions. On defense, another playmaker of the week-worthy performance with Kafui Fiadanu. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Putting up a monster 18 tackles. Two sacks and four tackles for loss on the game for Devlin. Now for Bennett, Tristan Kronk got the usual 27 carries with 141 yards and two touchdowns. And then he also added 28 yards and a touchdown receiving the ball. Surprisingly, they actually passed the ball a solid amount this week with uh, their QB Brody Hawes putting up a season best 217 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick on 14 of 18 passing. For receivers, it was sophomore Austin Steers leading the way with 131 yards and a touchdown on six catches. Love to see this improvement in the pass game for Bennett. Devlin's playoff hopes don't look great right now, but they just need to focus on winning out and maybe the chips will fall their way. 
Next Friday game here, Lamar 8, Alamosa 48. Big win for Alamosa here. Um, three guys contributing on the ground for Alamosa. QB Dyson Woodward with 71 yards and a touchdown on eight carries. Carter Tulsma with 139 yards and two touchdowns on 12 carries. And then he had a forced fumble on defense. And then RJ Mice with 109 yards on 15 carries. And then he had a sack on defense. Also on defense here, Ryan Higoreda, sorry if I mispronounced that, and Carlos Garcia both caught a pick, and Michael Motts recovered a fumble for a touchdown while also putting up 55 yards and a touchdown on two catches on offense. So this is Alamosa's first win of the year, so playoff hopes are slim. Their seeding is currently being helped by their tough schedule, but they'd have to win out convincingly against Florence, Manitou, and Woodland Park if they want to grab one of those final playoff spots. Next game here, Fort Lupton 16, Eaton 43. Eaton jumped out to a 37-7 lead at half, and that was all she wrote. Some stats here on offense. Connor Davey went 8 for 11, 189 yards and two touchdowns. Then he also added 88 yards on 11 carries on the ground. DeAngelos Rosas rushed the ball really well with 150 yards on 14 carries. Eden hasn't entered all of their touchdown sets, so I'm not actually sure if Rosas or Davey had any rush, uh, rushing touchdowns. On defense here, it was a flurry of contributors as they destroyed Fort Lupton's offensive line with 10.5 sacks as a team. Sophomore Andrew Lloyd had 12 tackles, 3 sacks, and a recovered fumble for a touchdown. Jacob Benavidez had 9 tackles and 2 sacks. Preston Smith, not to be confused with the Packers' defensive end, had seven tackles and three sacks of his own and four tackles for loss. And then we also had Cooper Nider, who led the way with 18 tackles, a sack, a pick, and a fumble recovery for a touchdown. And then Zach Meski had 18 tackles and two tackles for loss. So like I said, just a flurry of contributors. Really, everyone was just getting a taste. Uh, good job on Eaton on defense. Um, major playoff implications next week in Eaton's game against Berthoud. Both teams are looking to make a statement about their championship intentions this season. So it will definitely be interesting to see how Eaton, uh, how this Eaton team responds in that kind of environment. Moving on now, we have Bayfield 24, Montezuma Cortez 51. Montezuma is definitely still hovering around that final playoff spot. Lucky for them, though, they play Pagosa and Delta to end the year. So if they can beat Pagosa and keep it somewhat close against Delta, they might very well sneak in. Next game here, Aspen 48, Grand Valley 24. Uh, for Grand Valley, Andrew Horner didn't pass the ball well, but he rushed for two TDs and 76 yards on 12 carries. Then Mason Schopner had 89 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. And then on defense, he had five tackles and a sack. And then we also had Gabriel Mendoza here with 102 yards and a touchdown offense. And then on defense, he had eight tackles and a sack. Also on defense, Philip Hoyt had a sack to go with his four tackles for loss on the game. Aspen has their handful in the next few weeks with Rifle, Moffitt County, and Basalt coming up. But they just need to take it week by week and try and keep those games close. Playoff hopes are slim at this point, but making these games close could definitely help. Next game here, we have Salida 0, Delta 48. Delta is looking to hold on to that one seed with their final two games of the season being against very beatable opponents. And Salida, they could, very, they could surprisingly sneak into the playoffs if the chips fall their way to end this year. 
Um, this win doesn't help their case, but there is still hope for the Spartans. Moving on now, Manitou Springs 12, Florence 53. Tanner Rast went 5 for 8, 94 yards and a touchdown, and he had 23 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Rushing the ball for Florence, Noah Howard had two TDs, J.J. Baker had a touchdown, and Lucas Nuss had uh, 78 yards on 11 carries, a 28-yard receiving touchdown, and a 93-yard kick return touchdown as well. So good all-around game for him. Speaking of stat stuffers, Gage Goodall had six receptions for 112 yards and a pick on defense, and then he added a punt return TD as well. Um, Florence is looking good for the playoffs. They should beat Alamosa after their bye next week, and then their game against La Junta to end the year will definitely have some playoff implications. And then if the Woodland Park game wasn't the dagger, this one might as well been for Manitou Springs. The Mustangs have had a roller coaster of a season, but right now it's important that they focus on the little things before they can even think about a playoff spot. Moving on now, we have Coleridge 3, Moffitt County 49. Moffitt County is a playoff team at the moment, but they need to prove it next week against Basalt. They don't need to win, but they have to keep it close for them to hold on to their playoff spot. Next game here, Kent Denver 17, Elizabeth 7. Statement win here from Kent Denver. They have firmly placed themselves in the mix for home field advantage in the first round of playoffs and possibly a top four spot if they can finish the year unbeaten. They end the year with games against TCA and Inglewood, so we'll just have to wait and see how serious these Sun Devils are this year. For Elizabeth, they've been playing really well all season, and I really expected them to win this one, but wow, this doesn't look good for their uh, championship chances. They had a real chance here to put, any, put away any doubt about them in this game, but now we are all left wondering what other team in 2A could sneak a win in against the Cardinals. Moving on now, Woodland Park 0, La Junta 52. La Junta could very well be going into the playoffs undefeated. Their last tough game will be against Florence in the final week of the year, and that game will almost certainly be a precursor to what we can expect in the playoffs from both those squads. Next game here, Forge Christian 0, Berthed 49. Darren Davidson was working Forge Christian in this game. He went 11 for 14, 129 yards and 3 TDs and then 91 yards and two more TDs rushing. So that's a five TD game from him. Alex Larson also had a big game here with 172 yards and a touchdown on 20 carries, and then Aiden McGrath caught two, D, two TDs as well. Berthet is underrated in the playoff index right now, sitting at six, but they have a big game here against Eaton coming up at home, so that will be a huge opportunity for them to rise in the seeding index. Moving on now, we have Wellington 62, Prospect Ridge 6. Wellington's a scary team now with Cash Altschwager back uh, playing both sides. Cash here had 118 yards and three TDs on only nine carries on offense, and then he added nine tackles on defense. Also on offense for Wellington, Kaysen Brown caught two TDs. Uh, sophomore Lincoln Duncan rushed for two TDs and 82 yards on four carries. And Tanner Gray went 10 for 14, 86 yards, and two touchdowns. On defense for Wellington, Isaac Duncan and Ezra Batjargal, sorry if I mispronounced that, both had two sacks apiece. Azuya Gracie led the team with 10 tackles, and Ian Allison caught a pick. The odds are that Wellington is going into the playoffs undefeated, 
Um, their seating has been and will continue to be affected by the strength of their schedule. And that's fair because we really have no idea what they're going to look like against a top team in two-way. So something to keep your eye on going into the playoffs. Next game here, Denver West 7, the Classical Academy 48. Five different players rushed for a TD for TCA. They were led by Jackson Shipfer, who finished with 115 yards on 11 carries on offense, and he also had a pick on defense. Also on defense, Elijah Wright had a 68-yard pick six, eight tackles, and half a sack. Gabriel Wright led the team with 13 tackles. Michael Wu had 10 tackles and a tackle for loss, and he also had a rushing TD on offense. And then Andrew Borchardt had six tackles, a sack, and two tackles for loss. Uh, TCA is firmly in the playoff mix here, with them now just playing for that coveted home field advantage in the first round. Some games to definitely keep your eye on as far as playoff implication go are there two two games to end the year against two top 10 uh, teams with one at Kent Denver, and then the last one is at home against Elizabeth. A lot of storylines to look out for in those games. And then for Denver West, they are still clinging on to hope for one of the last playoff spots. They really started out the year off strong, but they have definitely fizzled out in recent weeks as they have faced tougher opponents. It will be interesting to see if they can put up a fight against Englewood and Elizabeth to keep those playoff hopes alive. Moving on now, we have Platte Valley 28, Valley 20. Platte Valley is another team hanging around that last playoff spot. Um, they haven't done well against any playoff teams, so it's hard to be too optimistic. But their game against Wellington on, on October 20th is a huge opportunity to try and sneak in. In our second-to-last game for 2A this week, we have Rifle 55, Basalt 27. Um, Isaac Valencia showed out for Rifle in this one, putting up a monstrous four TDs and 226 yards on 16 carries. Logan Gross also ran it all over Basalt with 189 yards and two TDs of his own on only 10 carries, and he also caught a 58-yard touchdown from Sterling Cook. And he also had a 86-yard kick return touchdown. So a couple Playmaker of the Week-worthy performances there for Rifle. Um, yeah, both players really showed out. Four touchdowns apiece. Um, Rifle has now cemented themselves as a top-four team in 2A with this win over Basalt. Putting up 55 on this Basalt team is a great sign of things to come for the Bears they end the year with three games they should win, so we should be seeing uh, Rifle finish with a top four seed for playoffs. And for Basalt, this is a concerning loss, I won't lie. It's one thing to lose to a top team, but to give up 55 in the process, it just doesn't bode well for them as, a, as far as championship hopes goes. I'm still high on Basalt, and they are definitely still contenders, but you'd just really like to see a better showing from them with an opportunity to show out against a top opponent. And now in our last game for 2A, we have Kirtland Central 6, Pagosa Springs 46. Uh, Pagosa Springs is definitely a playoff team. They showed it last week against Delta, and they end the year with three very winnable games. So the Pirates stock is definitely up right now. Thank you, Gino, for taking us through two-way action. And now, before Coach V takes us through the rest of three-A action, looking at the playoff picture and seedings and stuff, I'm going to talk about a marquee matchup here that was between two top-ten teams with the Lutheran Lions traveling up north to Broomfield 
to take on the Holy Family Tigers. This was an important matchup for seeding, but just an important matchup for Holy Family as well, who is celebrating their homecoming. This was their homecoming game, so a very important game and a very big game for both of these teams. And so with all that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this game where I literally ran like two and a half miles. Both of these teams play hurry up offense. And when I say hurry up, I don't just mean, you know, the ball is set, they get a play in really fast, and then they're on to the next one. I mean, as soon as the ball is set, the center is grabbing the football, getting ready, and they are getting plays in super fast. So I was just doing like 30-yard sprints across midfield only on the Lutheran sideline just to get the footage. And, you know, I had to double back at the end of halftime. You know, I had to watch through all the plays. I didn't have time to delete plays. I didn't have time to write and record at the same time. I had to record, sprint to the next spot, record, 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 sprint just to keep up with these teams, which I'm thankful for the workout, seeing as how, you know, I'm trying to be a bit more health conscious, but holy cow, was it pretty insane. But all of that aside, let's go ahead and talk about Lutheran's open drive here that happened so fast and was such an adaptation for me. I boiled it down to Lutheran goes all the way downfield in six handoffs, split between 30 and 28. Those fellas being Evan Holdridge and Sawyer Wald. Both of those guys splitting carries to bring Lutheran down the field. And Sawyer specifically finishing the drive with a 34-yard touchdown run, 10 minutes and 23 seconds into the first. So literally a minute and a half drive for the Lions to start the game. Now, holy family. They get on the field, and Sawyer immediately makes his presence felt on the defensive side of the football, swallowing up a cutback lane. But then the Tigers, down but not out, do find Jackson Grable for a first down, and then another jump pass to Anderson Osborne that picks up a few before a stretch right to Dominic Gabriel picks up a first. And as fast as I'm saying these plays, they might be happening even faster in action. There's then another play here for the Lions where they get a positive play here. Peyton Garrett swallowing up the cutback lane. And then right after that, John Justice with a sack forcing Holy Family into a bit of a hole here. But they find Dom Gabriel on a Texas route for a solid gain. And they need about a yard to convert. And they do a quarterback sneak just around the tackle for the first down. After a false start and an incompletion, they do pass to number 18 for Holy Family. That is none other than Monte Samaras here, who dances around and picks up a first down. They then call a zone left to Dom Gabriel, who sheds one tackle and then out muscles two Lions on his way to tying the football game. It is now 7-7, tied Holy Family Lutheran. Now Lutheran, with the ball on their own 20-yard line, they do start off with a solid gut run from number 28 before the next handoff is brought down in the backfield by number 55 of Holy Family. And that's Camden Austin, by the way, a junior here. And after that, they have a handoff to Sawyer Wald, who gains some yards, and then a read option kept by Reich and Doggard, who breaks ahead for a first down. After a handoff is swarmed in on the next play, there's a throw that goes to the right through the receiver's hands, and then back-to-back -back runs from 28 sets up a fourth and manageable 
but an incompletion makes it a turnover on downs. Now, Holy Family, they have the ball going in from the 48-yard line. However, a holding penalty would kind of kill this play right before the drive could even start. And on third down, you have Peyton Garrett, number 50, as well as John Justice, both sacking the quarterback, forcing Holy Family into a three and out and punting the football. Now, Lou High back with the ball on their own 27-yard line. Handoff to 30, he goes straight ahead. And after another handoff to 30, he spins out of one tackle. He's eventually dragged down after a first down. 28 then, getting the handoff here, picks up a quick two. And after a quick pass right for a small gain, they call a quarterback keeper on third down that ends the first. Now, at the end of the first, it is still 7-7. Luhai is facing fourth and short and run a heavy formation with a direct snap left and convert. They remain heavy for a few plays and eventually wind up in another fourth and short situation where they power ahead, but after they bring out the chains, they are short and have a turnover on downs on the 33-yard line going in. So Holy Family on their own 33, I'd say that's definitely fourth down territory for Lutheran, so I love the play call here. Just interesting that they stuck with heavy for the next, like, five plays, but they call a stretch left that's a big gain, but unfortunately a holding penalty will bring it back. But they call the same play twice in a row, and it works again this time but holding the mustard. A screen right to 18 gains nice yards, but then a deep pass left is not going to really matter because of penalties on both sides of the football. A short run and pass makes things dicey, but on third down, Cooney pumps and runs for the first down. On the following play, Lutheran's very own number 77, Keaton Raymond, I want to say is how you say that, gets a tackle for loss, but on the next play, Ryland breaks the pocket right and finds Grable by the right boundary for a first. A run left doesn't accomplish much, and then an incomplete pass is even less, but then Cooney eventually finds Anderson Osborne for the score, putting up Holy Family 14-7 with 6 minutes and 22 seconds until half. Lutheran starting the next drive on their own 30-yard line with about 6 minutes and 13 seconds left on the clock. Hands off to number 28, Evan Holdridge, for a very solid gain. 30 picks up a few right after, but after a quick pass, right only picks up a few and an incompletion, Lutheran is forced to punt. Holy Family does benefit from a touchback here and starts on their own 20 with five and a half minutes left. A handoff right is stuffed, but a swing pass left is for a loss, but a penalty on Lutheran would give Holy Family a first down anyhow. After an incompletion and a short run right, Cooney uncorks Deep left to number three, Ashton Erickson, who catches it and flips the field in Holy Family's favor. After that, there's a handoff and a play action right for short gains, and another handoff will put Holy Family inside the 10-yard line. Lutheran will take a timeout here with two minutes and 32 seconds left, and Holy Family's on the 8-yard line. Two short runs forces another Lutheran timeout, with a minute and 26 seconds left, and it looks like the Lions might pull off the goal line stop, but Cooney rolls out left and passes to Erickson once again, but this time he's in the end zone finding the score, and Holy Family would then convert on the PAT, keeping up 21-7 with a minute 18 in the half. Lutheran would then start with the ball in their own 20-yard line, and after a quarterback keeper and a short pass left ends up out of bounds, number 10 for Holy Family, Cole Kuzak makes a big play here, intercepting the ball and killing this Lutheran drive. Holy Family, with over 40 seconds to go, 
kind of stall out here with an opportunity to go up three scores prior to the half. And after a sack on third down, Lutheran takes their final timeout with 24 seconds left in the half. Lutheran has 13 seconds and 81 yards to go, but do not go that far and head into half down 21 to 7 with Holy Family being able to start with the ball in the second half. Holy Family just looking like a well-oiled machine here through this contest. Lutheran as well, but definitely not getting... I'd say that the heavy formation is something that comes back to bite them a little bit in that first half. And then the big plays that Holy Family is ripping off here is substantial for their economy. Now, Holy Family, like I said, starts off in the second half with the ball, and they come off running the ball right from the get-go with a handoff right, a toss left, and then another handoff right. Now, after we have a first down from a combination of those runs, it is second down, and number 94, Lutheran, does get the sack. And on third down, Cooney and his receiver are not on the same page, and it's an incompletion, ending the drive in a punt. So not quite a three and out, but pretty darn close. And so Lutheran, with under 10 minutes in the third, hands off with two middle runs, number 28, Holdridge, picking up a first, and then a middle handoff and toss right are short before 30 rips off a big run into Tiger territory and sets up Lutheran to, you know, potentially score on this drive. Now, Lutheran here, they do have a pass right that falls incomplete in part to great coverage from number 10 of Holy Family. Once again, I believe that is Cole Kuzak. And then after that, there's a handoff to 28 and 30 that sets up fourth and run. Fourth and one, where the Lions will run a QB sneak here. And they look short to me from the initial down of where Riken is, but there seems to be a lot of controversy as they bring out the chains again, and the ref is yanking on the chain a few times, and it the chains made it look a lot closer than I thought it was initially from the sideline, but they're pulling on the chains over and over again until they are ruled short. So it's a turnover on downs that ends the drive, but the readjustment of the chains was a little weird, and... Yeah, I'll, I'll just say from my personal angle, I definitely think that Lutheran was short of the first down genuinely, but the refs made it seem a lot more sketch than I think it had to be. Regardless, Holy Family here, they would start on, the own, on their own 15-yard line with 7 minutes and 15 seconds here, so about a 2-minute drive from Lutheran just dying inside of the red zone, and they call a quarterback keeper left, but a holding penalty brings it back to the 26. It's still a first down, from where the penalty is because it's downfield on a receiver, but you know, still could have been like a 20 yard gain instead of 11. There's a handoff left to six stopped at the line of scrimmage and Dominic Gabriel is actually a little slow to get up and is subbed off the field. There's a throw middle to Osborne and then a handoff right is blown up by number 90 setting up a tough third down here, but a quick pass pass left to zero spins out of a tackle and continues all the way before being dragged down inside of the 20-yard line going in. Just a great play by Grable to stay on his feet and spin out of that first tackle and keep this drive alive. They then hand off left to number 30, who gets all the way inside of the five-yard line. I believe that's Anthony Scott here. And then Ryland Cooney calls his own number here, keeps left, and scores with four minutes and 14 seconds left in the third. Holy Family is now a up 28 to 7. 
But if there's anything you should know about this Lutheran team, it's that they don't need a ton of time to score. And that is evident following a swing pass right to Wald that picks up a solid amount of yards, and then a handoff to Wald that picks up a first down. There's a deep shot that is almost intercepted by number 23, Connor Neely, and that's why he's on defense, right, y'all? But on the next play, Riken does buy time and finds 21 for Lutheran for some positive yardage. That is going to be the senior, Sam Smolin. But that doesn't really matter because they call a screenplay to Ben Herbeck on the very next play, who takes it all the way to the house with 2 minutes and 33 seconds left in the third, using less than 2 minutes to score on this drive as well. Luhai still trails 14-28, and there's going to be an unsportsmanlike on the kickoff enforced for waving to the defender. I don't think it was super harmful, but, you know, the no-fun league, Chassa, what's the difference? <laughs> Anyways, Holy Family, with the kickoff in mind, do get to start around the 42-yard line, so great field position and a chance to maybe put this game out of reach. But after a swing pass left is brought down and an incompletion, there's a fourth and long that will force Holy Family to punt with a minute in the third here. So Luhai will have the ball on their own 34 with 44 seconds left. Riken Doggard would fight ahead for a short gain before handing off to number 30 who powers ahead, but Anderson Osborne would have the last laugh of the third quarter getting a TFL to end the third. Now to start the fourth quarter, the Lions call a fake handoff screen right for a short gain, and then after a nice strike over the middle to 21 picks up a first down, they are back to running the football, calling a toss left, but Osborne, number seven for Holy Family, is there to stop that. A screen is well read and then brought down for a loss by Cooney, who's now at cornerback here. But on the quarterback keeper, Lutheran here would fight ahead for another day. And then another pass to Ben Herbick here on the right side of the field, on the right side of the first down marker, does keep the Lions chugging along. The defense for Holy Family keys in on the run for the next two plays, but an eventual touchdown pass on an extended play from Riken Doggard here where he is just moving around. He looks like he might take off, but he keeps his eyes downfield and dots up Sam Smolin, number 21 for their 21st set of points, makes this a one-score game with only seven and a half minutes left in the third. And the Lutheran defense follows up by forcing a Holy Family three and out, giving Lutheran about six and a half minutes to go and a chance to tie this game. They are inside their own 20, which does set up for a long drive, but that doesn't matter, matter to Lutheran, as three consecutive runs, picking up about five or six yards apiece, you know, puts Lutheran into chain-moving position, and then they call a screen left to Herbick, who picks up another first down. After a Keeper and a handoff to 30. Sawyerweld does break off for a big gain, taking the Lions from the 47-yard line to inside of Holy Family's 20-yard line. They do a handoff to number 20 for a couple before the drive ends with a touchdown catch by number 18, Jack Wesolowski, the junior here, who's actually listed as a quarterback, oddly enough, on the roster. He catches a touchdown pass just a little bit behind him and ties the game with three and a half minutes to go. So, in just about 10 minutes of play clock football, Lutheran has come back from down 28-7 to seven to make it 28-28 to 28 with three and a half minutes to go. 
holy family, can they snap out of this rut that they're in and put points back on the board? Let's see here as they start inside their own or maybe on their own 35-yard line here. So solid field position. And whose number do you call up with the game on the line? If you guessed Ryland Cooney, you would be correct here, who keeps and pops out of a pile that I was not expecting to see him pop out of here for a nice gain here, getting around to midfield. After a handoff for Dominic Gabriel, picks up about seven or eight yards. There's a motion, but the quarterback keeps left to about the 25-yard line. So another big gain from Ryland Cooney here to you know just put this Tiger team in a great position to maybe slam the door on Lutheran's hopes here. And then after a short game on first down, the Tigers drop back to pass, and Cooney surveys the field, but then he decides to keep it himself, turns up field, cutting inside, and splitting the safeties for a score with 132 left in the game. It is a 23-yard rushing touchdown by Rylan Cooney. That was his long of the night here, and the go-ahead touchdown with just a minute and a half. But as we know, the listeners and fans of Colorado football, Lutheran, they do not need a whole lot of time here. So can the Holy Family defense keep their head above water for the next minute and 32 seconds? Well, a couple of incomplete passes, including screen passes, sets up third and 10 with a minute 25 to go. And the Holy Family does take a timeout here trying to, you know, end this game right here and right now. But Lutheran, they keep their drive alive and their life alive here with a first down and getting out of bounds with a minute 18 left to go. After a screen left, Lutheran does call a timeout with a minute and seven seconds left. But a bad snap here is going to set the Lions back with 57 seconds left and call a timeout. But with under a minute left, they call a toss left to 30, who picks up the first down and gets out of bounds with 51 seconds as that could have been a real nice gain here. There's 44 seconds left on the clock on the next play, and, you know, the time stops here as they get out of bounds once again. There's a pass right for a nice gain that does get out of bounds, setting up third and two here with just over a half a minute left to go. On third and two, they do call a pass left that is stopped at the line of scrimmage by number 27 of Holy Family, making maybe one of the biggest plays here is Mark Mullinder. Looks like a senior here on homecoming with some magic. And Lutheran will take a timeout with exactly 30 seconds left on fourth down. They would line up, and Holy Family, in a very chess mass match-esque maneuver here, does call their own timeout, also with 30 seconds. And it is fourth and two. We can hear the heartbeat the audience is going nuts. Shout out to both Lutheran and Holy Family for coming out in droves to this game, by the way. Both of these fan bases were very avid. Both these fan bases were very animated. And the parking was so intense that I actually had to park in a field like it was the Ren Fair. So I love to see that kind of environment on a Friday night here. And boy, did both these teams bring it here. And on fourth and two, quarterback drops back to pass and throws to his crossing route. And it's a little too high, hitting the turf, marking Holy Family's offense to the field to take a knee and walk away with the win, 35-28 to 28 here. 
let's talk about some of the numbers here on both sides here. Riken Doggard ending the night 17 of 27 for 166 yards, three TDs and a pick. Those three receivers, Ben Herbeck with over 100 yards and a touchdown. Wesolowski here with a touchdown and Samuel Smolin once again with those touchdowns here. And then running the ball, Sawyer Wald going absolutely ballistic. 25 carries for 217 yards, long of 33 and a touchdown. Obviously that 34-yard one that started off the scoring. Evan Holdridge, a solid night here with 61 yards on 15 carries, and Riken here with 46 of his own. On the defensive side of the ball, there have not been stats input, but you know, you have Sawyer also doing a lot of the same on the defensive side of the ball. And then that defensive line for Lutheran was playing very well. And I think that's pretty obvious in the fact that even though, you know, Holy Family does rush for over 180 yards here. A, it's not the 330 that Lutheran ran for, and their average is closer to about five yards per carry than Lutheran's 6.6. So I think the defensive line did a great job here. But on the Holy Family side here, Rylan Cooney, 16 of 27, 227 yards, two TDs and no picks while adding on another two rushing touchdowns and 68 yards here almost going for 300 net yards. Dominique Gabriel doing just enough with his 22 carries, 101 yards, and his one rushing touchdown that he absolutely muscled in for and worked for. Erickson and Osborne both being receiving targets on touchdowns. And then on the defensive side of the ball, Braden Bach here leading the Tigers with 12 tackles and Mark Molander having 11 of his own as well. And then, yes, mostly Anderson Osborne in the backfield. Jackson Grable, being credited, hmm, I don't know about all this, Chief, with the three interceptions. <laughs> Maybe if you were counting dropped interceptions, uh, Holy Family definitely should have left this game with three. But I digress. Holy Family here. And then Oliver Hansen, the sophomore kicker, going 5-5 five of five on PATs, being especially important tonight as Holy Family gets a major league win, pushing themselves up to number two in the Chassa standings and putting themselves in a great spot to win league here. They have another big game coming up right next against Northfield, who is another top 10 ranked team. And then Lutheran here, they kind of uh, dip in difficulty here with Lincoln coming up. But I'll let Simon talk about the rest of 3A and the recaps for how they will impact the overall playoff standings. Thank you. What's good, y'all? It's Coach V, and I got your 3A recap, not only for this week, but until the end of the season. That is right. I'll be able to cover 3A uh, from now until the end of the regular season, as well as the playoffs, as we are in this last stretch here of the regular season, with playoffs just looming. And so, uh, in case Cody didn't already say here, no power rankings this week, but at the end of this segment, I will talk about the playoff picture in 3A as of, well, as of after uh, all the games this week. It is currently October 8th, 2023 in the morning when I am recording this, that RPI ranking up just updated uh, right now. And the max preps rankings will probably update tomorrow, but I, I have a good idea of all the teams who are in the hunt anyway. So we'll talk about that later, but... You know, let's go ahead and recap all the games that happened here in Week 7, starting with the Thursday night games. We have a huge upset to kick it off. Mountain View takes down 
previously undefeated Northridge 34 to 14. No stats from Mountain View here. Um, I will say this Mountain View led 21 14 at half and would pull away with two Keegan Amon's touchdowns and a shutout of Northridge in that second half that would deliver them a big win there Mountain View will probably I don't think they have enough wins here to make the playoffs but that does hurt Northridge as they now plummet from top 10 to just outside the playoffs here uh, at 18 and that's before the max preps rankings as well Stats from Northridge, though. Justin, though, didn't have a bad game. 15 of 24, 192 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Raul Gallegos, he did his thing. 65 rushing yards, a touchdown, and 10 tackles. He was the lead tackler there. But obviously not enough as Northridge falls from the undefeateds, losing to Mountain View, who previously did not win, have not won a game. And now they beat them 34-14. So there you go there. Pueblo South takes care of business versus Sierra, 48-20. to And I think that is all the 3A games for Thursday. So let's move on to Friday, the 6th here. We have a couple games, some big ones. Durango wins a close one against Summit, 26-21. to Tyler Harms turning in a Playmaker of the Week performance. 16-28 of for 272 passing yards, 4 passing touchdowns, and 90 rushing yards as Durango avoids a loss here and gets a good win uh, which will obviously help their rankings more than hurt um there so boom conifer takes down wheat ridge 35-0 grady forsyth with the game four receptions 86 receiving yards two receiving touchdowns one sack on defense cody will have recapped this game already i think but holy family they go ahead and take down lutheran in an exciting one 35 to 28 a little bit of a quarterback duel Riken doggard 17 of 2766 passing yards three passing touchdowns only one pick and 46 rushing yards uh sawyer wald for lutheran had 217 rushing yards and a touchdown in unfortunately a losing effort but the winning team holy family rylan cooney uh puts together a nice 16 of 27 227 uh passing yards two passing touchdown and a 68 rushing yard and two rushing touchdown performance here that'll surely help holy family in their rankings and he is obviously a playmaker of the week candidate with that so huge win for holy family there Pueblo County takes down Canyon City, 47-15. Cohen Glenn, 5 of 6 for 97 passing yards, two passing touchdowns. Also, 74 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Uh, Terrell Dahala, or Dillaha, I want to say, uh, the senior running back for County. He had 201 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns as they take care of business there. Riverdale Ridge continues to roll with a big win over Denver North, 42-20. Isaiah Medina, 17-20, of 239 passing yards, one passing touchdowns. 38 rushing yards and four rushing touchdowns. Definitely someone who was in consideration for Playmaker of the Week. But a big performance from him as Riverdale Ridge continues to roll 5-1 and one right now. So there you go there. Lewis Palmer takes down Harrison 55-12. It was a close game, 18-12 at halftime, uh, going Lewis Palmer's way. But two Nathan Unks and two additional Jaden Pagano touchdowns would go ahead and put them away. Palisade takes Palisade takes care of business against Eagle Valley 21-16. Kanan Everett, 42 passing yards, 114 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. Skyview takes down Littleton 28-6. Thompson Valley takes care of business against Severance 31-6 there. Pueblo Central in a big rivalry game beats Pueblo Centennial 52-0. No surprises there. 
And then here is a surprise. Resurrection Christian upsets Roosevelt 40-20, to 20, handing them their biggest loss in years. Actually, now that I'm looking it up here, this was their biggest loss since 2018, point differential-wise, that is, uh, since the first year of Lane Wassinger's uh, coaching um, tenor here over at Roosevelt, so the worst loss they've suffered, which isn't bad, it was only 20 points, which isn't that bad, that just shows how good Roosevelt has been in recent years, but uh, upset loss there to Rez Christian definitely hurts Roosevelt and should help Rez out just a little bit here, here's some stats though, uh, Rez Christian, well here, let me start with this, Resurrection Christian had three rushing touchdowns in the first half to amass an early 20-0 to lead, at halftime it would be 26-7, to and obviously, be way too much for Roosevelt to come back from. They kind of dug their own hole there, so Rez winning from there. Bronco Hartson didn't play horribly in this game. 170 passing yards, three touchdowns, one pick, 32 rushing yards. But like I said, a loss is a loss as Resurrection Christian takes down Roosevelt 40-20 to here. Uh, moving on here to our last Friday night game, we have Green Mountain, who all of a sudden is now the last undefeated team in 3A here. They win 55-3 over Evergreen. Collectively, they ran for 301 rushing yards and 4 rushing touchdowns using 12 different players as rushers. I think 8 different players had more than 2 carries, or at least 2 carries, which is insane. So, there you go there, Green Mountain, now the number 1 team in 3A. Moving on to the Saturday games. Nothing too crazy here. Northfield blows out Kennedy 62-12. Me takes down G-Dub uh, in a big one, 21-7. That's big for me, that is. Pueblo East blows out Sand Creek 55-0. Frederick blows out Niwot 42-12. Fort Morgan blows out Lincoln as they should, 42-0. So there you go. That's your recap. Now, I will say this. The playoff seating index will change here tomorrow once max preps is updated i don't know if there'll be too many crazy too much crazy movement here that's what i'm trying to say here but i'm gonna go ahead and read the playoff index as of right now the playoff picture looks like this as of right now starting at number one is green mountain two holy family three durango four roosevelt five luthan six riverdale ridge seven thompson valley eight northfield nine lewis palmer 10, Resurrection Christian, 11, Pueblo Central, 12, Denver North, 13, Glenwood Springs, 14, 2 and 4, Mead here, 15, Pueblo South, and at 16 right now is Summit. Now, this playoff race is extremely close. I got to go ahead and read off the other teams. I'm going to go, I think I'll go up to 30 here. No, I won't do that. I'll, I'll go up to uh, 24 here, but just outside. So you have Summit at 16. At 17, you have 4-2 and two Pueblo County. At 18, you have 5-1 and one Northridge, who was previously in the playoff race. Now they're out. At 19, you have 4-2 and two Discovery Canyon. 25-1 Skyview. 21-3-3 Frederick, who I think is really underrated, by the way. At 22 is 2-5 Palisade, 23, 2-4 uh, Pueblo East, 24, 2-4 Severance, 25, 1-5 uh, Mountain View. I'm going to be honest here, just looking at this, I think at 21 with Frederick, 
to 17 is probably uh, all the teams who have a pretty realistic chance at making it here. So I'm looking at County, Northridge, Discovery Canyon, Skyview, and Frederick as teams who are all battling to get in here. Obviously, you have Summit here at 16, Pueblo South at 15, and Mead here at 14. Mead probably being one of the more vulnerable teams at two and four they had a tough schedule which is what's keeping them in here but you know they do play denver north next week which will be big that's 11 mead versus 14 denver north that's going to be a huge game there uh this league is probably already going to be won by riverdale ridge but i mean this league in general you're seeing a couple teams here in mead g-dub denver north frederick and riverdale ridge who are all battling for playoff spots here so that's definitely going to be interesting there um speaking of teams that are in this league that will play next week is number 16 frederick and number nine riverdale ridge Riverdale Ridge, they've been on a roll, but so has Frederick Gavin Ishmael over there. Low-key putting together an MVP season at quarterback, one of the top passers not only in 3A, but in the state of Colorado. Gotta keep an eye on that one. A win over Riverdale Ridge for Frederick, uh, who actually, by the way, I think the uh, rankings just updated here uh, when I wrote this out, so... Uh, Mead, sorry, is now at 14. Denver North is sitting at 12. So I want to make sure I said that right. So now it's basically switched. I think I said Mead was at 11. North is at uh, 14. Now it's switched. Uh, Frederick, like I said, at 21, dropping out here. And then Riverdale Ridge currently at 6. So obviously a win for Frederick would move them up here for Riverdale Ridge. I don't think it would move them out of the playoffs uh, or out of the playoff picture. I would not imagine so. They do play G-Dub, Niwa, and Mead. It would, I guess it would be hard to put them back in. That Thompson Valley win was huge for them. Other than that, not too many quality wins. So that would kind of be a dangerous one for Riverdale Ridge. Uh, you also don't want to get potentially blown out either. So big one right there. Then you have number seven Northfield versus number, or sorry, number eight Northfield versus now number two Holy Family. Remember, this is as of Sunday, October 8th. This will probably change again tomorrow once the Max Preps uh, stuff changes. Regardless, I don't think this one is that big a deal. I mean, Holy Family should win this one. Go be honest there. If they don't, then they're going to drop. Obviously, Northfield will rise. Regardless, they should still make the playoffs here. So just keep an eye on that one. Then we're looking at games outside of the playoff picture. Uh, with that being said, I'm talking about Summit and Palisade. They face off here. Palisade currently at 22 right now. And then Summit is at 16 on the edge. Like I said, could change again uh, by the time this episode comes out. Regardless, uh, for both teams, this is pretty much a must win here to build a good playoff resume and get in. Both are kind of on that cusp. Then we have currently number four, Roosevelt versus Northridge, who is out of the playoffs at 18. 
This is a bigger win for Northridge, I would imagine, as they do have the weaker schedule of the two here. If they could win against Roosevelt, that would probably guarantee them a spot in the playoffs for Roosevelt. That would take them out of the top seeding contention here. At least I would imagine it would take them out of top seeding contention. So there you go there. Still would make the playoffs and would have a solid spot. But like I said, definitely a more important game for Northridge here to win, or at least be close in this one. Then we have Lewis Palmer versus Pueblo South here. Uh, LP is sitting pretty well here, currently at number 9. They should make the playoffs. They have a pretty strong schedule playing some 4A teams like Falcon, Palmer Ridge, Coronado. A big win over DCC, Discovery Canyon at the beginning of the season. That was huge for them. Uh, so, you know, they, they should continue to roll here. If they lose to South, that could drop them significantly. But then they play Pueblo Central right after that. That could give them a chance to get back in. Lewis Palmer, they, they could, there is a scenario where they could uh, fall out of the playoffs. There is one, but they will probably have to lose every single game. If you are Pueblo South, you're sitting at 3-3, three and three. you're currently at 15 right now. You want to solidify that ranking here and that playoff spot. This game and the Pueblo Central game at the very end of the season for South will probably decide whether they make the playoffs or not, assuming they, you know, beat the teams that they should as well. So, there you go there. Then we have Durango versus Glenwood Springs. Durango with a big win. Now sitting at number three according to the playoff index momentarily. Then you have uh, Glenwood Springs at 13 currently as of right now here. Durango will definitely make the playoffs. They'll probably still be uh, one of the higher-seeded teams Glenwood Springs, they, I, I don't know, I don't think they can beat Durango, I'm just going to be honest there, right, uh, if they do, that's going to be huge, you know, but they got to play them at least pretty close here to stay inside here, Glenwood Springs, definitely with a tougher schedule, well, not a tougher schedule, but, you know, some weaker opponents here, uh, I don't want to say weaker, but 2A opponents here, Rifle, Basalt, lost to both of them, so, not good there, uh, they need to stay close here. Glenwood Springs is definitely a cusp team here. They could. There's definitely a, a world where they miss out on the playoffs. Let's keep that honest. So there you go. There, Durango really just playing for higher seeding purposes here. Then going down the list here, we have Resurrection Christian and Severance. Res is now sitting at 10. Severance is sitting at 24. I wouldn't say they are quite out of the playoff race, but you got to win games, right? You, they only, they've only beat Canyon City and Evergreen, who are really bad, ranked way below out of the playoff race already. They lost to Green Mountain only 28-6. Eden, that's a game they should have won, 34-33. They lost. Same with Meade, lost to them 35-31. If they had those two games, they would probably be in the playoffs right now. So, there you go there. Uh, they also got blown out by Thompson Valley, 31-6. to And so, the way it looks, I mean, they really have to win at least one. And that's, not, I wouldn't guarantee them a playoff spot. But they would have to win at least one of these next three big league matchups. Rez is going to be the big one this week. But then they play Roosevelt and then Northridge at the end of the season. Because of their schedule, they're not quite out of it, but they got to win at least one of those three tough games. And then, I mean, you got to take care of business as well against, um, 
I want to say they play Mountain View. Let me check real quick. Yep, got to take care of business against Mountain View and then play the other two relatively close here. If not win, if you can win two of the three against these tough teams, I think Severance makes the playoffs, though. But we'll just have to see about that. Then the last big game here, Pueblo County and Discovery Canyon here. Really close here. These are must-win games for both teams. They're both sitting at 4-2. You know, currently Pueblo County is ranked ahead of DCC. Uh, County at 17, DCC at 19. And so... They're going to play here on Saturday, and that's this is probably going to be a really important game here. They need to win this game being so close. Both of them are on that cusp here. A loss when on the cusp is not good, so you got to win. For County, they play Discovery Canyon and then obviously have CN Creek and Pueblo East. I don't think either of those matchups or wins would help them out. Now, losing to both would definitely kill County there. Which, you know, that's tough. But a Discovery Canyon win could... I mean, this is probably their last chance at a really strengthening their resume here. So, there you go there. For Discovery Canyon, very similar situation. Canyon City, East, and Sand Creek should or should, yeah, beat all of them. And so, that really makes this county game important. And so, if they are going to make the playoffs, which uh, no guarantees, they have to beat each other. So... There you go there. That is the 3A playoff picture. Super exciting and looking forward to seeing how it all plays out this next week. Obviously, you want a trainer who can make you stronger and faster with the work you put in. But what about a trainer who can help you rehab and recover like the pros? Look no further than Junkyard Training that not only offers specific strength and speed training, but also offers a plethora of recovery and rehab techniques like cryo, cupping, recovery boots, and so much more. Learn more today by visiting junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594. Once again, visit junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594 and get started today. All right, Coach V here. Let's go ahead and talk about Greeley Central versus Greeley West here. A rivalry game here. And, you know, Greeley West going into this one have not won a game. They were 0-6, playing a lot of tough teams, granted, but 0-6 going into this game. Greeley Central, though, was 2-4, so not too bad here. Um, one of their better seasons in more recent years and trying to make the playoffs. And so, obviously, a win here would be huge to add another one to their column and get closer to 500. But let's go ahead and get into this one. Uh, I'm going to kind of skip around here because the first half wasn't too crazy. It was 0-0 at halftime here. Greeley Central only had three offensive drives. One was a three and out. I think that was the first one. Their second one was a red zone trip that unfortunately kind of just stalled out there. Central senior quarterback Genoa Trujillo, he threw a swing pass to Carlos Cardoza. But I think a holding penalty brought that back, which I... 
Don't know about that one, but it happened. So there you go there. And then their last drive of the half, by the way, started on the one-yard line where they had 99 yards to go. And then once again, I think a holding penalty or some sort of penalty kind of killed that drive. So a tough go there. They didn't really get the ball a lot in the first half here. And that's mostly because Greeley West had a lot of long drives here. Um, West got into the red zone two out of the four drives that they had. Um, the other drives were a three and out, and then a drive that I think ended with a near 50-yard field goal, which was near the end of the, um, I want to say, near the end of the first half there. And by the way, that 50-yard field goal almost returned by Martin Mendoza, but he dropped it. So it was almost a scary situation, but you know, it is what it is. So there you go there. Now the two red zone drives, you already know how they went. They didn't go well there. Uh, on one of the, I think it was their first red zone drive. They fumbled the ball central forced a fumble there. And so they, I mean, you know, they didn't have the greatest field positioning, but still in a tough spot there for central West there, obviously not getting points on that drive was tough. And then they had a drive where they drove all the way up to the one on fourth down. They went for it, handed off to David Lopez, their big 6'2", 230-pound tight end fullback, and he got stuffed. So there you go there. A relatively close game, you know, some solid drives put together here by both teams leading up to this point, but 0-0 regardless. So let's go ahead and hop into the third quarter here. Um, Greeley Central would get the ball here, but after getting a first down thanks to a Carlos Cardoza toss, they would eventually go ahead and stall out here, trying to run the ball here. No passing plays on this one. Uh, on fourth and three, they try a hard count, and then they hand it off to Isaiah Asensio, their big 6'1", 225-pound fullback, but he gets stuffed, so that's a turnover on downs. West takes over basically near midfield here on the 49 with 921 left here and they put together a pretty solid drive doesn't start out great not gonna lie to you but they would eventually recover here so uh it would start out okay actually a curl route to jacob flores uh, would go for a first down pass midfield but then a bad recovery uh bad fumble here by west i think it was just a bad snap plus you know, some mishandling here would make it second and 22. They would work their way out of it here. Their quarterback, Julian Salas, would find Daniel Segura, uh, their receiver, who would make it third and 14. Then a slant to Jacob Flores would make it fourth and five. Following that, uh, their quarterback, Salas, here would go ahead and scramble right on fourth down as they go for it and toss it to Jacob Flores, who makes a tough catch near the sideline, mind you, and then made a couple people miss just refusing to go down, fighting for extra yards. And so that went for a big play there. And so now it's first down on the eight-yard line following that. Um, let's go ahead and fast forward here just a little bit. Greeley West, they would try to run the ball here, and it would just not work out on third and seven. It was a quarterback keeper, but it looks like he kind of ran into his own blocker, and so he gets stopped in the backfield. And so Greeley West goes ahead and kicks the field goal. They make it, taking the first lead of the game 3-0 to zero, with three minutes left in the third. Following that, West would then kick an onside kick, but Central would recover it uh, thanks to number 36 on Central. That is 
Uh, well, dang, he's not listed on the roster here on Max Preps, so never mind. But he would go ahead and recover that one, and that would go and set them up on the 30. But Greeley Central would go ahead and basically respond right away. They hand it off to Martin Mendoza, and he goes ahead and gets loose and breaks off a huge 70-plus yard run uh, or sorry, not 70-plus yard, 60-plus yard run here. Almost houses it, but is just barely tracked down by a Greeley West defender. Just like that, they flip positions here, and now Central is on the 9-yard line going in. Uh, they go ahead and hand it off a couple times to Asensio. He makes it third down on the 4. Then they toss it right to Carlos Cardoza. He's looking for an opening, and he finds one as he slices it upfield and gives Central the 6-3 lead, 7-3 lead after the PAT with a minute 31 as Central basically recovers right after that. Now, Greeley West would... Uh, not be in a great position here. You can feel all the momentum going Central's way after they scored so easily here. And it kind of bleeded into this return as this returner just dropped. First off, he dropped the ball and then he just struggled to pick it up. Just bad bobbles here. And he would eventually fall on it, almost recovered by Central. It is a missed opportunity here. I'm not going to lie for Central, but West recovers. They're on the five-yard line there. Following that, they then fumble the snap, and luckily the quarterback falls forward on it, so they get one yard, so it's now second and nine. Then they toss it left to Lopez. He gets a couple, making it third and six. Then they throw the out route, Salas finding uh, Lopez here, David Lopez, on that out route. That gives them a first down, gets them out of a tough situation. Let's go ahead and go uh, to the fourth quarter here. West, they would continue to run the ball and throw the ball here. A lot of out routes to Lopez, a lot of short throws here. But eventually, it would come to a fourth down and two play here. I believe they are across midfield at this point. And they run it with Lopez, handing it, and he goes ahead and is stopped short. And so that's a turnover on downs. And so Central takes over on the 36 with 7-19 left here. But unfortunately, they go three and out. A holding play. A lot of holds called in this game. I'm just going to say. Goes ahead and kills this drive. And so they punt it. Uh, West takes over on the 29 with about 6-14 left here. Um, keep in mind, it is a 10-3 to or sorry, 7-3 game so far. And so here is what happens. They go ahead and feed David Lopez the ball. If he's not running it up the middle, they are throwing it to him. And it's like only out routes and drag routes at this point. So there you go. Eventually, it comes down to a first and 15 after a couple penalties here. And here's what happens. Julian Salas drops back and he throws it deep down the left sideline to Daniel Segura. It looks like it's about to be picked off, but it is not picked off. And Segura makes a catch just behind the DB who plays the ball here. And he goes 40 yards to the house to take the 10 to 7 lead with 537 left. West going crazy on that side over there. The fans going crazy. 
thanks to this big play. Like I said, the DB was there. It looked like he was getting picked off. And by the way, check out our TikTok uh, at Playmakers Corner to see this play here. It's like the first or second play on that reel. But it looks like it's about to get picked off. I get fooled even with my camera. But it gets just past the DB. Goes right through his hands and into the hands of the waiting receiver. West is feeling themselves. But Central... It's about that time. They take over on the 20 with a chance to go ahead and win this game here. And they run the ball quite a bit here. I mean, there's a lot of time. There's a good amount of time left, about five minutes. But they definitely seem to be committed to running the ball here. A combination of Cardoza tosses and Asensio dives eventually brings up a fourth and three here. But they go ahead and call a dive to Asensio and he falls forward. Just barely, but getting the first down there. Following that, there's a bad snap that makes it second and 13. Genotrio, he falls on it, so that puts them in a tough spot. Then they hand it off to the left to Cardoza. I don't know if this was the right play here, but he only gets one yard. So now it's third and 12. And so third down, 12 clock is going here. Uh, Greeley Central needs something. Here's what happens. They go ahead and snap it to their quarterback, Genotrio. He drops back. He immediately feels pressure off the edge here. He steps up, avoiding the rush, and throws a dot towards the left sideline across the field here, across the midfield here. And I couldn't see who the receiver was, but he catches it. It I mean, it looked like a really deep comeback route, but I think he was just throwing towards the sideline, trying to make his receiver stop and catch it, and he did. Just a great throw by Jano Trujillo here, and a great catch. Now they are across midfield, about on the 35 or so. A huge 30-plus yard chunk play here for Central to really get this drive going. And so there you go, there that happens. And then they continue to stick to the run. Two dives to Cardoza and Asensio makes a third and six there. Then they throw here once more on third down. The pass looked to be on the money, but it gets tipped at the line uh, by a central defensive lineman. So shout out to them. Couldn't quite see who it was, but I know it got tipped there. And so here we go. It's fourth and six here. They go and go ahead and call an out route here to Asensio. Genotrio drops back. He throws it. It's there. But just not the greatest timing. He was getting kind of bared down on by the defensive tackle who almost immediately got loose and was rushing him. And so this pass was rushed. And so great pressure by West. And that's a turnover on downs. And that will basically end the game here. They would go ahead and run out the rest of this clock here. And so there you go there. Greeley West wins big here. 10-7 to in this rivalry matchup. MVP of this game um, was easily David Lopez. He was the official MVP, that is, is what I'm trying to say. But I would say playmaker of the game here in this one was David Lopez. Struggled early on running the ball. I mean, this central defense was tough. They didn't allow him to get too much yards up the middle. Or really, I mean, he's not like a you know sideline-to-sideline -side running back either or fullback either. So he didn't get much there. But it was in the passing game where he really opened it up for West, who just threw the ball more than central, to be honest with you. And, you know, he ate. You know, just out routes, simple stuff. He got a bunch of big yards, kept a lot of plays and drives alive here. And, you know, that was the difference between West winning and Central losing, to be honest with you. 
And, you know, this was a central team that I saw play against Cheyenne Mountain. And, you know, yeah, they did get a lot of success running the football against them. But it was also the passing game who, you know, came in clutch. And I felt like they passed it a lot more in that game than this one. And so just a tough go here. Uh, let me talk about Greeley West here. You know, a tough season so far for them. And so for them to go into this rivalry game and win it, that is absolutely huge here. You got to love it. You got to look at the seniors here who really contributed. Uh, mostly the receivers, Daniel Segura, uh, who had the big touchdown play. Jacob Flores, who had some big plays here as well. David Lopez, obviously a tight end, doing his thing. I mean, these receivers were balling out. Also, Julian Salas as well. Sorry, that's another senior here at quarterback who did his thing. You know, this is obviously a huge win for the seniors. You love to see that here. See them ball out and do what they do. So there you go. A good win for West and hopefully something to build on moving forward. But they do play golly they almost play all playoff teams on their schedule here they play Windsor Monarch and Erie at the end those are all tough games but before that uh Longmont Silver Creek Northridge TJ Bear Creek oof that is tough so tough schedule for them but for West you gotta love this win for them for Central I mean they didn't get the ball a lot, I will say this and so their offense was just never quite able to get into rhythm but when they did get the ball in the second half I mean they committed to the run and it just wasn't working, just plain and simple. It wasn't working. Their biggest plays, I mean, their biggest plays were Martin Mendoza getting loose, right? That was a huge one there. And, I, I mean, like, that's good, obviously, but, you know, you got to open it up a little bit more. That was just kind of one mistake for West. And then, obviously, they would score after that Cardoza getting in, but it was like a five-yard run. Uh, Passing-wise, I mean, they just didn't pass the ball, and that really affected, you know, how well they were able to open it up because this West front line, uh, defensive line and front seven, I should say, was pretty tough. You know, they were pretty tough, and they only got tougher as the game went on, and they knew that they had to win this one for them. And so... Just a just a tough go, and then obviously, you know, if Genoa, if he makes that pass at the end there, you know, the play, the drive continues at least. But you know, they were already in a tough situation. They were already in multiple third and long plays there. You never want to get into third and long, and that's just kind of a tough deal for them. And so now they're sitting at two and five. Unfortunately, a loss like this probably puts them out of the playoff picture unless they go ahead and win against uh, Grand Junction, Silver Creek, and Skyline and find their way back at 500, which is, I think it could be possible here. It could definitely be possible, but it's going to be a grind for sure, and so they got to lock in and do it. And so if they could get to 500, then they might be able to sneak into the playoffs. We'll see, though, if they do get to 500, this would be the best record they would have in years. So we'll just have to see what happens moving forward. What is going on, everybody? Gino here with the Playmakers Corner podcast coming at you with the Week 7 4A recaps. And you guys probably already heard me on the 2A recaps. So same thing going on in 4A this week. A lot of playoff implications and a lot of league games going on. So let's go ahead and dive right into the Thursday games. Starting off our Thursday games, we have Vista Peak 29, Ponderosa 55. It was almost 300 yards rushing as a team for Ponderosa. Sean Davis led the way with 150 yards and a touchdown on 20 carries. 
and Max Mervin also rushed it well with 88 yards and a touchdown on 11 carries. He also had a 52-yard touchdown reception, and he also passed the ball going 8 for 17 with two passing touchdowns and two picks. On defense, Weston Hofschneider put up a Playmaker of the Week-worthy performance with five sacks. Bennett Mione and Brian Hinton both caught a pick, and Blake Branham forced a fumble. On defense, Carson Keach had a 42-yard punt return for a touchdown. Ponderosa has slid pretty badly in the playoff index since their losing streak, but they have a chance to make a statement in their next game against Thomas Jefferson on October the 21st. There are definitely some major playoff implications there as both teams are firmly in the race. Adam City, 0, Heritage, 69. Kurt Rosner for Heritage only threw three passes and completed two of them with both of those going for touchdowns. On defense, Turner Graham and Dylan Dirks both had pick sixes, and on special teams, Tanner Turch had a 48-yard power turn touchdown. Um, Heritage has slipped in the playoff index since their loss to Fruita Monument. Their next chance to really rise in the rankings comes in their last game of the year against Broomfield, so that is definitely a game to look forward to as far as 4A games goes. Next game here, we have Thornton 45, Palmer 65. And what a game from Arvel Amos, who did it all for Palmer, putting up seven, I repeat, seven total touchdowns in just about every way you can imagine. Let's break it down here. 101 yards and two touchdowns rushing, 117 yards and two touchdowns on eight of four passing, 82 yards and a touchdown receiving, a 62-yard kick return touchdown, and then a 52-yard punt return touchdown. Now, I'm serious when I say I have never seen stats like that in my life. I mean, seriously, I had to quadruple check all the stats and do all the math just to make sure. So that's an easy playmaker of the week for him. Uh, Spoiler alert. Oh, and he also put up seven tackles and a tackle for loss on defense if that wasn't enough. Next game here, Denver South 48, Gateway 14. Junior Felipe had a nice four-touchdown performance on 9 of 13 passing for 143 yards for Denver South. Um, Chevelle Early continues to be a huge factor, putting up 110 yards and two touchdowns on only eight carries. And then Braylon Trevett caught two TDs, and Elijah Landrum Hamilton led the team in yards and receptions with 71 yards and a touchdown on four receptions. Then he also had a 60-yard punt return. Uh, Denver South should definitely be a playoff team this year. They got tough games coming up against Far Northeast and Thomas Jefferson to end the year, but they just need to beat Far Northeast and keep it close to TJ to stay in the playoff picture. Next game here, we have Erie 45, Monarch 3. Some stats here. Blake Barnett, um, not a huge game from him. He passed the ball decently well. 4 of 12, 150 yards, 3 touchdowns, and a pick. And then rushing the ball, he had 3 carries for 11 yards and a touchdown. Um, Also running the ball, Gavin Lusk led the way. He had 93 yards and 2 touchdowns on 4 carries. And then 3 different receivers caught a touchdown. Those being Alex Sweeney, uh, Cave Meredith, and Preston Terranova. On defense, Carson Hagman led the way with 13 tackles, and then Gio Giampietro, the sophomore, he had six tackles and three tackles for loss, and two sacks to go along with that. 
And then Aiden Arnold and Jackson Cowgill both also had sacks. And then Braylon Tolliver had an interception to round it out for stats for Erie. Um, both of these teams should be playoff teams with Erie finishing the year with some very winnable games. And then Monarch has two winnable games, and then they have what should be a great game against Longmont on October 13th. Next game here, we have Windsor 51, Skyline 0. Uh, for Windsor, Kyle Phelps, he diced him up going 10 of 12, 115 yards and a touchdown. And then rushing the ball, we had four different players get a rushing touchdown. Easton Hubbard had um, six carries for only eight yards, but he led the way with two touchdowns. Um, and then receiving, Trip Thomas had five receptions for 65 yards and a touchdown, and he also had two carries for 27 yards. On defense here, we have Colton Piper with seven tackles and three tackles for loss. Um, Bryson Pendleton had three tackles and three tackles for loss and two sacks. And then Piper also had a sack here. And then Landon Scruggs had an interception. Mikey Munn also had an interception. And Santi Fernandez had a fumble recovery. And it looks like Mikey Munn also had a touch at a kickoff return for a touchdown that went 81 yards. Windsor is very firmly in the playoff race. They got a game against Loveland on the 20th that will definitely have some playoff implications. So keep your eye out for that one. Next game here, we have Bear Creek 19, Dakota Ridge 47. Jack Stewart was Blake Palladino's number one target this week, putting up 198 yards and four TDs on six catches. And then sophomore Landon Kalsbeck was a big factor as well, leading the team with 167 yards and two TDs on only 11 carries. And then he also added 47 yards receiving on two catches. For Bear Creek, it was Adrian Rico leading the way. He passed the ball an absurd 42 times with 22 completions. He had 305 yards passing with three touchdowns and a pick. And then for receivers, it was Ryan Bobick leading the way, who put up a great game with eight catches, 183 yards, and two touchdowns. On defense here for Bear Creek, Mason Rodriguez got 12 tackles. Emilio Mendoza had 11 tackles and a tackle for loss. And then for sacks, we have Ezra Pacheco had a sack. Ben Iannotti with a sack, and Damari Russell also with a sack. And then also on defense, Jojo Hernandez had a 52-yard pick return that wasn't for a touchdown, but still a nice return nonetheless. Lucky for Bear Creek, they are actually still in the playoff mix somehow. Um, that's four straight losses now since the Thomas Jefferson game, but they have a chance to get back on track here. Uh, the next couple of weeks against Grand Junction and Stanley Lake. And then they have a chance to show that they are a, that they are actually serious this year against Ponderosa in their last game of the year. Um, for Dakota Ridge, um, they're trying to get home field advantage in the first round right now. Golden next week is going to be a game to watch out for as Golden has found themselves uh, quite high in the rankings index. Um, some serious playoff implications there as both teams um, have proven to be a com uh, competitive around the top of 4A. So let's go ahead and slide right into these Friday games, starting off with Golden 46, Stanley Lake 6. Some stats here for Golden. Um, Kalen Huford actually had a great game. Sorry if I mispronounced that, by the way. 
He went 12 of 16 passing for 149 yards and four touchdowns. And then Luke Chevalier had another great game here. He had two touchdowns and 80 yards on eight carries. And then for receivers, Trey Abrams, he had two receiving touchdowns on and 41 yards on four catches. And that looks to be the bulk of the production for Golden here. Um, yeah, Golden has risen quite high in the playoff index with some very big wins. Um, they will be tested again next week versus Dakota Ridge. And I just highlighted why that game is going to be important. Um, after the, the Dakota Ridge game, it will be smooth sailing for the Demons. Uh, next game here, Montrose 56, Falcon 22. Um, no stats yet for Montrose, um, but some stats here for Falcon. Carter Thorpe went 9 of 12, 68 yards and a pick. Um, rushing the ball, he had 13 carries, 62 yards. Um, Gabriel McFarland had himself a very nice game here with 108 yards and a touchdown on eight carries. And Ethan Mangrum, the freshman, also had a rushing touchdown and 22 yards on four carries. Um, Ashton Luttrell uh, led the way, as usual, receiving the ball with three receptions for 45 yards. Um, Falcon has two tough games against Pueblo West and Mesa Ridge coming up, but a Decently winnable game with how Pueblo West is playing recently. Um, so those are going to be key opportunities for them to show that they aren't a first-round exit in playoffs. Uh, Montrose, they also end the year with Pueblo West and Mesa Ridge. They should be able to take Mesa Ridge at home, but that away game to end the year against Pueblo West is going to be very interesting. Um, but with how Mesa ran the ball against West, though, I have to believe Montrose will probably be okay. Next here, we have Rampart 42, Cheyenne Mountain 6. So yeah, some stats here for Rampart. Uh, they were led by Makiu Ramaka. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. He had three touchdowns and 86 yards on seven carries. And then Camden Bruns had two touchdowns, 89 yards on 12 carries. You also had Zach Barnett, who had 30 yards and a touchdown on five carries. On defense here, it was Justice Derrickson with two tackles for loss and four tackles, and Peter Richardson with five tackles and two tackles for loss. Yeah, Derrickson would go on to have two sacks in this game, and Richardson had one. Then also, Mark Suppletson had a interception, and Gage Hoskell had two fumble recoveries, Kaysen Harris had a fumble recovery, and Derrickson also had a fumble recovery. Some stats here for Cheyenne Mountain. Um, Bruce Archambault, not his best game. He went 8 of 17 for 85 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. And then rushing the ball, Sam Hawker had 53 yards and a touchdown on 9 carries. Uh, this loss pretty much cooks Cheyenne Mountain's playoff hopes. They are now hinging on having to show out against Vista Ridge and Palmer Ridge if they want to make the playoffs. So definitely an uphill battle for them. Um, Rampart's playoff hopes, meanwhile, are very much alive with this win. They have to play Mesa Ridge and Vista Ridge in the next couple of weeks. So that is not an easy road ahead by any means. But I don't think they should have a problem getting one of those bottom seeds. Next game here, we have Widefield 49, Hinkley 6. 
Um, Widefield is blessed with being in that I-25 league, which would explain the discrepancy between their record and their ranking in the playoff index. Um, they have a legit chance to go into the playoffs um, with only one loss and still be a 20 to 24 range for seeding. Um, all they can do is keep winning and hope they don't get screwed by seeding. Moving on now, we got Longmont 35, Silver Creek 6. Huge game here for Cole Gladys of Longmont with 261 yards and three touchdowns on 24 carries. Receiving, Joey Foote um, led the way. He was really the only one getting any action with six receptions for 80 yards. On defense here, Kobe Dirksen had a sack. Grant Cummins had two sacks, and Hunter Knight had a sack and a half. And then Logan Johnson had a 62-yard Interception return, not for a touchdown, but still a nice return nonetheless. Uh, yeah, well, Longmont should definitely be a playoff team. They end the year with Erie and Loveland, so realistically they can make it somewhat close against Erie. And then maybe, just maybe, they can beat Loveland, um, and that would really, really help their playoff odds, no doubt. Uh, next game here, Aurora Central 7, Broomfield 48. Broomfield is going to be a threat in the playoffs, plain and simple. They have an away game coming up against Fruta Monument that could easily be a trap game for the Eagles, as that is not an easy drive, and Fruta is red hot right now. And then after that, they end the year with a home game against Heritage, and that will be another game with serious playoff implications. Um, if Broomfield can win both those games, they might sneak their way back into the top three and be considered a real, real contender once again. Next game here, we got Coronado 6, Mesa Ridge 69. Isaiah Jones went untouched, putting up three touchdowns on three carries for 127 yards. And then he also had a five-yard receiving touchdown and a sack on defense. And I, I have to believe that he didn't play this whole game. So that's a huge stat line for just whatever, how much he played. Then we also had Bryce Real, who went four for six, 117 yards and three TDs. Mesa Ridge is comfort comfortably in the top 10, and they're looking really hard to beat right now. Um, the game to watch out for is the away game against Montrose on the 20th. Uh, winning in Montrose is not easy, so that will be the ultimate test for Mesa Ridge this season before playoffs. Next game here, we got Pueblo West 7, Palmer Ridge 42. Palmer Ridge hit Pueblo West with the usual balanced attack and simply could not be stopped despite Derek Hester throwing two picks. He finished with five total touchdowns to make up for that, three passing, two rushing. Jimmer Ware caught three passes for 91 yards and two TDs, and Holden Wright had himself a big game with 22 yards and a touchdown rushing, three receptions, 94 yards, and another touchdown receiving. Palmer Ridge will undoubtedly go into the playoffs as the one seed and as the championship favorites. Their final game of the year against Vista Ridge will be the next time Palmer Ridge takes on a playoff team. Back-to-back uh, -back losses against top 4A opponents means trouble for Pueblo West. They have a chance to earn back some respect in their final game of the year against Montrose at home, luckily for them. Uh, next week against Falcon is one that they need to take care of too, especially since Falcon could be a playoff team. Next here, we got Far Northeast 21, Thomas Jefferson 22. Let's go ahead and check out some of these stats in this game. For Thomas Jefferson, it looks like Dimitri Harlembopoulos. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. 
Um, he went three for eight, 49 yards and an interception. Um, but Jake Tapia rushed the ball really well. He got 122 yards and two touchdowns on 11 carries. And then Dimitri had 12 carries and 78 yards of his own. On defense here, Jake Tapia had another big game, 10 tackles and a tackle for loss. Harlan Bopoulos had a big game on defense as well with 11 tackles and three tackles for loss. And then they were also led the way with Braden Larimer and Roman Tupper Brown, both putting up 17 tackles apiece with Larimer getting two tackles for loss and Tupper Brown getting three. And then Harlan Bopoulos also had an 88-yard interception that went for a touchdown. So a lot of two-way contributors on Thomas Jefferson. You'll notice that is definitely a trend on that team. Checking out Far Northeast stats, looks like Russell Patton got himself 85 yards and a touchdown, 21 carries, following up that big 350-yard game last week. And then Kenchizi Ray continues to be a contributor with 65 yards and a touchdown on 13 carries as well. Then receiving here, we had Jalen Clark get 106 yards and three receptions. On defense, um, it looks like Jalen Clark had a interception and a forced fumble and he recovered that fumble. Um, this was a much closer game than I bet Thomas Jefferson was anticipating. They play Ponderosa on October 21st, and that is going to be a very exciting game, especially since Thomas Jefferson is trying to stand defeated going into playoffs, and then Ponderosa could be seriously hurt with another loss. Far Northeast is a pretty underrated team in my opinion. They can still make playoffs despite their 2-5 and five record because they play two teams, Denver South and Vista Peak, that are in front of them in the power rankings. So if they can beat those two teams and make it close in their other game against Ponderosa, then Far Northeast can definitely be looking at a playoff spot by the end of the year. Next game here, we got Liberty 6, Centaurus 36. Ben Mitchkey got himself a season high, 212 yards and two touchdowns on 25 carries for Centaurus. Chance Wood got 122 yards and a touchdown on 12 of 18 passing. And then he also added 46 yards and a touchdown rushing. Um, Centaurus is still trying to work their way into the playoff picture due to their week schedule, and that loss to Mountain Range earlier this season. It would be cool to see them sneak in, but it is definitely an uphill battle because that schedule is simply not tough enough to end the year. Winning out is absolutely crucial for Centaurus for them to even think about grabbing a playoff spot. Next game here, we got Greeley Central 7, Greeley West 10. Simon was at this game, so make sure to look out for his recap at some point in this podcast. But some stats here for Greeley West. Julian Salas, he had uh, 211 yards and a touchdown on 15 of 27, or 15 of 20 passing, rather. And then David Lopez, he caught eight passes for 71 yards. And Daniel Segura caught four passes for 76 yards and a touchdown. All these guys helped Greeley West to get their first W on the year. In our second to last game for 4A, we got Fruit of Monument 41, Grand Junction 6. Um, Amari Wilson followed up his 5 TD performance from last week with 3 rushing TDs this week with 125 yards on 18 carries here for Fruit of Monument. Andres Palafox also ran the ball well with 164 yards and a touchdown on 23 carries. On defense, Noah Heaney had 9 tackles, a forced fumble, a half a sack, and 2 tackles for loss. And R.J. Jones had four tackles and a sack. Fruit of Monument has taken care of business this season despite their tough schedule. 
Their home game against Broomfield on October 20th is going to be a major opportunity for them to shake up 4A rankings yet again. That is definitely a winnable game considering it's at home, so keep your eyes out for that one. Moving into our last game on Friday here for 4A, Air Academy 0, Vista Ridge 51. Vista Ridge is currently being blessed in the seeding index right now due to their, due to their games against 5A opponents, uh, Pine Creek and Legend, that they both lost. Um, I'm not in favor of them, honestly, being ranked that high because they haven't played anyone really notable in 4A yet. But they have a chance to prove me wrong in their final game of the year against Palmer Ridge. So we'll see how that goes. In our last game of 4A here in Week 7, we have the Saturday game, the only Saturday game, rather, uh, between Grand Junction Central and Loveland, where Loveland won 34-23. to For Loveland here, Ryder Easton had a nice game, going 9 for 11, 219 yards and 3 TDs. Then he also had 34 yards and a rushing touchdown. Trey Olson went off, catching 4 passes for 139 yards and 3 TDs while also rushing for 91 yards and a touchdown on 15 attempts. And then on defense, he wasn't done. He got seven tackles and a tackle for loss. Also on defense here, we got Caden Stansberry, who got 13 tackles and a sack, and Carter, Carter Butler caught a pick. Loveland is definitely a threat for playoffs. Um, uh, they have some interesting games ahead with two games against potential playoff opponents to end the year against Longmont and Windsor. Grand Junction Central will probably be a playoff team. They just need to take care of a couple winnable games the next couple of weeks, and then their last, uh, and then their next playoff opponent will be Windsor to end the year. Thank you for that recap here. And now, following that 4A, we're going to talk about 5A here. We went to quite a few 5A games here, but it started on Thursday on my 25th year of existence here and I went and saw my alma mater with coach V and that was Arapahoe versus Grandview also versus Geno's alma mater oddly enough we got to get a Geno K bowl going on in the future but let's go ahead and talk about what happened in this marquee matchup between two top 10 teams so for starters Arapahoe had the ball and they had a handoff to Carter Neely who went for about 12 yards. Following that, they were held to no gain and then got Grandview to jump off sides and then a Mikey Moynihan draw for a first down to the 40-yard line. A deep pass fell just incomplete, and after a short run, it set up third and eight where they threw a rollout right, but the pass was not reached for and incomplete. And so on fourth and eight, they try a pass over the middle that Wa Kalanji, I believe this is in Congolo here, gets the tip on it, and forces a turn of run downs. So, Grandview here, after letting Arepo drive just a little bit, does stiffen up here just in time to force a turn of run downs and give themselves the ball on their 38 here. Now, they do a handoff to number 26 here, Chris Blanks, who picks up about four yards here to start their drive. But after a pass left is dropped and a handoff is swallowed, Grandview here is going to go three and out. So Rappo has the ball on the 39-yard line after the punt. And Wakalanji right back to making plays, scrapes in for the cutback and keeps the run to just two. There's a jet sweep here called by Rappo that is swallowed up by Jericho Andrews. And 
is lost for one. However, Arapo comes out and they pass the ball and Moynihan finds his target number 17, Andrew Smart, here for a nice first down to the Wolves' 45-yard line. There's a swing pass to Charlie Eckhart who breaks a tackle and accelerates before two Wolves eventually drag him down at the 24-yard line. The Wolves line wins on the next play and forces a loss. And then there's a pass to number 86, Cade Kaminsky, that's a little bit behind him, but reeled in for a first down all the way to the 12-yard line. Moynihan then scrambles on the next play and throws a dime in the end zone that isn't quite brought in. They hand off to number seven, Neely, here, who has the potential to score, but is tripped up. And on third down, quarterback doesn't like anything and throws out of the end zone. And Rappo settles for a 25-yard field goal to go up three to zero. Now, Grandview on their next drive, they will start on the 20-yard line. But Liam Zarka looking for something over the middle that isn't quite there. Will Knox gets the interception and sets up a Rappo at the 11-yard line going in. They do a handoff to Trajan Frazier, who gets to the six-yard line, and then an RPO attempt to Eckhart is interfered and gets Arapo set up to the three. After a handoff, picks up a first down to the one-yard line, Arapo calls a heavy formation and hands off to Neely, who walks in for the score. Roughing the kicker gives a second chance at a PAT, and this one is good after the first one was not, and it is 10-0 Arapaho with 2.37 left in the first. Now, the Wolves, on their own 20, once again, they have a pair of runs that combine for about six yards. And on third and four, Zarka throws a quick zip in the middle between two defenders and gets a first down to the 33-yard line. On the following play, Zarka escapes the pocket right and goes deep, where a highly contested catch from the defense ends up on the turf. And after that, number six for Arapo fills on the very next play. That's Callahan Davis here and sets up a, another third down here. And after a false start, that'll set up Grandview with third and 15 at the end of the first, or should I say the beginning of the second. And despite the third and long, they do a pass right to Zay Nieto, who picks up a first down. After a deep shot left is incomplete, and another incompletion, it is third and 10, where Zarka throws into coverage, but the ball... Pops up off of the defender who should have had an interception. And Kyler Vaughn catches it and sprints ahead for a 57-yard receiving touchdown score. The PAT is no good. And so Grandview trails 6-10 to with 11.34 in the second. What an unbelievably lucky play for Kyler Vaughn here who did say that he was laughing as soon as he caught it knowing that he got pretty lucky and was off to the races. Now, Rappahoe, they're on their 33-yard line to start their next drive, and they do a handoff to 12 on a sweep who picks up about seven. They then also get the ball involved with number 33, uh, Clotra. I, I don't know if that's how you say your name, so I'm very sorry, Anthony. But anyways, they get it to Anthony here, who rolls ahead for a first down to the 45-yard line. After another pass is incomplete that doesn't feel like it's being reached out for by the receivers, there's a handoff to Neely that is dragged down by number 58 of Grandview for no gain. That's Wa Kalanji once again just making a ton of plays this game. And Arapo takes a timeout with nine and a half minutes left in the half, but an incomplete pass will still force a punt. 
Now the Wolves, they start with their back against the wall inside their own 13-yard line, and after a couple of quick plays, it is third and six. Zarka will keep and pick up five, setting up fourth and one, and they do a direct snap to 34, who breaks right and picks up the first down to the 32-yard line. And when I say direct snap to 34, I mean they were in punt formation and snapped it to Kyler Vaughn, who picked up another big-time first down. This is a great game for Kyler Vaughn, looking back in hindsight, who was really putting together some big plays when Grandview needed it. Now, on the next play, they do another pass right here, once again to Vaughn's number, who gets about six yards. Then on the following play, there is a roll right and a pass into heavy coverage that's not quite brought down through contact. On third and four, they pass left to number one, who flips into warrior territory on the 36-yard line going in. Zarka then keeps and gains four on the next play and is brought down by three different warriors here. He looks to a swing, but after the linebacker drifts towards the swing, zips it in to number five for a first down. That's Nate Denton here. And the Wolves are moving here inside the 30-yard line. They throw another pass left to number one, Zane Nieto, who's inside the 10 now. And on the next play, Zarka rips a smoking pass left that is hauled in by Nieto, who maintains control and gets his feet in bounds to put the Wolves ahead. 13 to 10 with five minutes and six seconds left in the half. Now, the Warriors have a hard time fielding the kickoff here, and the Wolves will actually start with the ball here on the 28-yard line going in. Zarka pumps but rolls left and picks up two, and after a pass right for six, it is third and two. They call a swing left that is quickly met by Will Knox of the Warriors here, and that sets up a fourth and six. They throw left to Zay, who just boxes out and gets a first down to the 13-yard line. After a drop, they hand it off to number 35, Donovan Vernon, the starter from last year. And he is picking up about four yards. Another handoff is not so lucky with the aggressive Warriors stalling out this drive. But the Wolves do convert a field goal and extend their lead 16-10 to 10 with a minute and a half left in the half. Moynihan lobs left and Eckhart toe taps to bring it in at the Wolves 40 yard line for Rappo's first play of their drive. And then after a pass left to Eckhart that picks up another nine, they start to run out of juice here with a drop. They call a run left to Frazier who bursts ahead for a first down to the 20 yard line and the Warriors will use a timeout with 51 seconds left. After a drop and another pass that isn't quite corralled in, it is third down and Mikey Moynihan rolls right and throws a fantastic jaw-dropping pass right in the breadbasket of Andrew Smart for the score. The PAT is no good, of course, and it is tied 16-16 with 33 seconds left in half, and that would basically take us to the second half here. Once again, tied, and Grandview knowing that they're going to have the ball to start. And knowing that they have the ball to start, they do start off with a short run and a pass to nine, who gets first down to the 38-yard line. That number nine is listed as Dominic Henning. Not sure if that's any relation to Zach Henning, but quite the uh, position difference if it is. I digress a little bit here. So they have a five-yard run and another short pass to nine. Picks up another first down to the 49-yard line. Wolves kind of getting some momentum on this drive here. And they get another pass left, but a whack flag kind of pushes it to first and 16 
I believe that was on the ridiculous holding call or whatever they tried to call on Zay. It was beautiful blocking is what it really was. So Zay Nito, definitely somebody who can block for you as well downfield and uh, won't get flagged on the next level for that because it was not a flag. I digress. They call a toss right here to Chris Blanks here, who dips in and cuts out, hitting the hole as it moves and gets tripped up to the 34-yard line. On the very next play, though, Zarka drops back to pass, and number four, Dylan Juarez, is there to bring him down and force a loss here for Grandview. After a toss left, gets stretched all the way out but doesn't quite reach the edge. It is third and 15, and they take a deep shot that is just barely incomplete with Eckhart tipping it, and Rappo will start on the 15-yard line after a punt. They call a run left here with clear lanes picking up for a few yards here, about eight yards. And on the next handoff, Neely finds daylight up the middle and sprints ahead to the 48-yard line before number 13 of Grandview makes a potential Chase Chapman, that is, touchdown-saving tackle. Two handoffs to 12. Frazier puts Arapo to the 26-yard line, and the Warriors' hurry-up is electric with another six. And a handoff sets up third and one, and another handoff to Neely. Seven gets to the seven-yard line. Encroachment puts the Warriors on the three and a half yard line, but a holding penalty makes this a bit more interesting. Now, after a direct to 33, pushes forward to the eight yard line and a false start puts them right back where they started. They call a weird kind of like side pass run that got to the seven yard line before Rappo uses a timeout with a minute 35 in the third. However, on this next play, Moynihan throws a beautiful fade here to Eckhart who springs up with quick hands at the very last second like he's a cowboy in the wild west and comes down with the catch and after the PAT Arapo leads 23 to 16. Now Grandview here trailing for the first time since earlier in the game here will start off with a pass to get ahead to the 32 yard line and take a timeout with a minute and two seconds left in the third. Zarka would then keep and gain for three and a toss right to 35 would have enough green for a first down and that would end the fourth quarter. Now, after a missed block here, a run gets blown up and uh, another great performance here by Arapo in pass coverage, forcing an incompletion. And on third and 10, Grandview will call a quarterback draw following an Arapo timeout with an 11-11 here, making a wish for Grandview to probably call something like a QB draw that they are ready for, and they will force a punt. Now, Arapo will start on their own 20-yard line and call a fake handoff right, and then a swing pass left to Eckhart, who gets the first after three defenders take him down. A handoff left to 12 goes for about five yards, and then a fake one on the next run, and then an eventual handoff to 25 rumbles for a first down here. Now, on this, that is Gilchrist, the sophomore, by the way, picking up about nine yards on that play. Now, Eckhart goes ahead for another first down, and a handoff to seven Neely is another solid gain. Wakalanji and number seven of Grandview on this next play, Marcus Stevens, come in and force a very short gain to stop the bleeding a little bit, and uh, this one even is for a loss. On the next play, Moynihan goes right and steps up to avoid pressure and uncorks a deep bomb to his six-foot-four target. You've heard his name once already, Andrew Smart, 
who just is bigger than the guy who's covering him and comes down with the jump ball to go up 30-16 to 16 with four-ish minutes to go. Grandview now much, much, much in need of a score here. And they start off with a, you know, nine-yard pass. But after a lot of pressure from the Warriors forces an incompletion, it is third and one. They pass left to Zay, who makes a man miss and gets to the other side of the field, but a penalty negates the gain and sets up third and six, where a throw left is dropped. And a very controversial call here. The Wolves here punt on fourth and six, and that would be the last time that they had the football here. Coach V definitely shaking his head and me even scratching my head, but taking the win here for Rappo that just bleeds the clock out here with big run after big run for first downs here. Pretty hard to stop this multi-headed running attack between Carter Neely, who ends the night with 100 yards on 16 carries, Trajan Frazier, who ends the night with 92 yards on 14 carries. Both these guys just getting it done when it mattered most. And yeah, let's go ahead and talk about some of the overall stats of this game. Obviously, Liam Zarka, 16 of 27, 202 yards, two TDs, and a pick here. This was a tough game for them to lose as Grandview just could not get anything going through the ground. But like I said, Kyler Vaughn and Zay Nito, those juniors, keeping this Wolves attack alive with both receiving touchdowns and nine receptions for over 140 yards. But outside of that and Wa Kalanji's performance here, ending with nine tackles. And then I guess Naren Bayer and Brandon Kerr here had double digit. But Arapaho definitely pulls away here in the second half. And a huge part of that is Mikey Moynihan, who definitely has impressed myself this year with his game against Heritage, where he just looked better than he did at all last year. And then this game, not passing for a whole ton of yards, but making the smart plays and playing to the advantage of his receivers, showing good touch in the red zone and throwing three touchdowns to no picks. So that is the recap of Rappo Grandview. This obviously has some playoff implications here. Rappo keeping their spot here at number four in the state and in the Chassa Index. Grandview here falling down to number seven. A bit more on that when I go over the entire 5A playoff recap here. But they have their next game up against Smoky Hill and then Cherokee Trail after that before finishing the season against Cherry Creek at home. That is probably their best chance for any movement. And Arapaho here gets the benefit of Cherokee Trail that they should be able to take care of this coming Thursday. And then Cherry Creek the following Friday for probably their best chance at any potential movement in the bracket. But both these teams are in great spots to have first round buys, which I think is what matters the absolute most. And as we get closer, we can start to project what their playoff brackets are going to look like. But that'll do it for my recap of Arapo versus Grandview. Go ahead and stay tuned for Gino and Gideon up next. How's it going, y'all? Gino here, this time bringing y'all a Friday night recap in Coach Prime's stomping grounds for the Boulder Brawl between the Fairview Knights and the Boulder Panthers. These are two teams on the complete opposite side of contention, with Fairview sitting at a nice 6-1 record, and they are a serious threat to make some noise in the playoffs, while Boulder here is still trying to get their first win on the season. You'd think this was a game of two top teams in the state, though, the way the students showed out for both sides. This is a rivalry that clearly has not lost any of its excitement despite one team being a contender and the other being in the basement of 5A. 
Um, the rivalry, as good as it may be, was not the reason why I made it out here for the game, though. As many of you have probably already heard, Fairview was recently graced with the return of a certain four-star QB. But for those of you who haven't heard, Beckham Kritza is back in a Fairview uniform and is eligible to play for the rest of the season. This completely tips the scales for Fairview's contention this year, as they were already a playoff team without him, but now they are looking scary to the top teams in the state, with Beckham taking back the reins of a very potent offensive scheme. But let's go ahead and dive right into this recap to see how this game went. Starting here with the first quarter, Boulder would start with the ball in this one on their own 23-yard line after the return. They actually came out looking pretty good here to start the game with number six, Miles Robbins, picking up nine yards on a sweep to the right to start the game. Uh, Robbins would follow that up for a first down run to the Boulder 36. A false start flag on Boulder after a run for no gain makes it second and 15. But Boulder made up for that with number eight, Andre Drapo, getting an eight-yard run. And then he would get hit on a swing pass on the next play to get another first down for Boulder on their own 45. Uh, Boulder's promising drive would be cut short on the next set of plays as a personal foul and a holding flag on separate plays would push them back pretty far, and they would end up punting here. A solid punt from Boulder put uh, Fairview back on their own 18. We saw right away uh, Fairview start to get in their bag with a quick pass to number four, Jace Hines, for a first down, and that was followed by a screen pass to number one, Jordan Rochelle, for a first down to their own 41. Yeah, that's not the last time you're going to be hearing Jordan Rochelle's name in this video. And then a couple of plays later, Beckham would scramble out of the pocket and eventually find Rochelle again for a first down all the way to the Boulder 25-yard line. After a short pass and an incomplete pass, Beckham Kritza would miss a wide-open receiver on third down, and that was when the Boulder crowd started to chant overrated at the four-star QB. All things considered, not the best idea from the Boulder crowd as they would soon see here. The Knights would go for it on 4th and 9 here, but it would be an incomplete pass to force a uh, turnover on downs for Boulder. At this point, the Boulder crowd is feeling pretty good. They are definitely taking advantage of any momentum they can get against a good team like Fairview, and I think that's fair enough. Um, on the next drive here for the Panthers, number 86, Kai Rutherford, and number 20, Wyatt Keegan on Fairview made some huge stops on back-to-back -back plays to make it 3rd and 9. But Boulder's QB, number nine, Henry Sharp, would scramble for seven yards to make it fourth and two. And they then followed that up with Andre Drapow running it for a first down. Unfortunately for Boulder, though, Fairview's defense would turn up on the next set of plays with Wyatt Keegan stopping a run on first down. Number 72, Ulysses Vera Castro getting a sack. And number nine, Ryder Villarreal stopping a swing pass on third down to force a punt. Villarreal was all over the field for Fairview on defense. Fairview started their next drive on their own 37, but would immediately move the sticks with Beckham hitting Jordan Rochelle for a nice gain to the Boulder 42-yard line. On the next play, Beckham would try and hit number 21, Torrey Davis, on a deep ball, but a PI flag on Boulder pushed Fairview up to the 22-yard line. Beckham would hand it off to Ryder Villarreal on first down, and he would push the ball to the 10-yard line to make it first and goal. And that would take us to the end of the first quarter, and we are still knotted up here at zeros apiece. Let's jump right into the second quarter here. Fairview would waste no time and give the ball to Jordan Rochelle in goal line formation for a touchdown run up the middle to make it 7-0 Fairview after the PAT. 
Boulder went three and out on their next drive with Ryder Villarreal stopping a QB keeper to force the punt. Fairview started to dig the dagger deeper as Jace Hines takes the Boulder punt all the takes the Fairview punt, excuse me, all the way to the 18-yard line. So Fairview is already threatening in the red zone again when it feels like they literally just scored. They would hand the ball off to Villarreal, who would take it all the way to the one-yard line, and this was followed by a QB sneak for a touchdown. But Fairview is flagged for illegal formation, so first and goal from the from the six now. On the next play, Rochelle would run it up the middle for a TD. But there is a holding flag, so it's first and goal from the 12-yard line now. Fairview followed that up by erasing the penalty by hitting number 14, Luke Strickland, on the sideline, who would get them back to the one-yard line. Second and goal from the one now, and they would give it back to Jordan Rochelle in the next play, who gets his second touchdown on the day to make it 14-0 after the PAT. A personal foul flag on Fairview on the return would give Boulder the ball on their own 32 to start the drive. Boulder would start, uh, or <clears throat> Boulder would do a couple runs for little to no gain, followed by an incomplete pass on third down, but a defensive holding flag gives Boulder a first down from their own 44. On third down, Henry Sharp would take a QB keeper for a nice gain to make it fourth and short for Boulder, and they would try their signature swing pass, number six, Miles Robbins, but number three, Walker Hungate on Fairview would make a huge hit on the play to force a turnover on downs. Fairview started with the ball on the Boulder 46 after a substitution infraction penalty on Boulder. And uh, Fairview would start moving the ball right away with Beckham scrambling to, uh, and trying to find a receiver. But he would eventually just flip it to Ryder Villarreal, who takes it to the Boulder 31. That was followed by an 8-yard pass to Rochelle and then a big run from Villarreal again, who takes it, to the, takes it for a first down to the 16. Uh, yeah, that play was pretty interesting because Boulder honestly got the stop before the first down, but the refs straight up took forever to blow the whistle for some reason since Villarreal was refusing to go down. So he just kept inching ahead for more yards and then until they eventually blew the play dead. So he got the first down. Um, and then they would give it to Villarreal again, and he would take this one to the four-yard line. And that set up none other than Jordan Rochelle for the hat trick as he would take this one in for his third on the half. It's 21-0 now with 3.40 left in the half after the PAT. Boulder went three and out again on their next drive with the usual run on first and second and then a swing pass to Robbins on third and then a punt on fourth. Number two, Cole Mathis would take this punt to the Fairview 45 and on the very first play of the drive, Beckham steps back to pass, looks deep for Jordan Rochelle down the sideline, Let's go, and Rochelle takes in this beautiful pass from Kritza into the end zone for his fourth TD of the game, and Beckham's first. It's 28 now, Fairview, after the PAT, with 2.37 left in the half. Boulder got all messed up by penalties on their next drive, and they would end up punting yet again with just enough time for Fairview to put something together. Lucky for Fairview, they didn't have to worry as Jace Hines would take this punt all the way to the 9-yard line to set up first and goal with under a minute to go. This was followed by my personal favorite play of the game where, Beck where Beckham was under some pressure in the pocket as he spots a receiver in the corner. Instead of wasting time and scrambling, Kritza said screw it and did some sort of sidearm jump throw to Jordan Rochelle in the corner of the end zone who grabs the ball literally over a kid's head for his fifth touchdown of the half. You know, there's two, maybe three QBs in the state 
that are capable of that kind of throw, and Beckham Kritza just makes it look easy. And then that would take us to the end of the half, and it is 35-0 Fairview. Now, I decided to watch one more Fairview drive before leaving uh, in the second half since this offense is just so fun to watch. But that would end quickly as Fairview recovered an onside kick to start the half. They followed that up with Cole Mathis running it all the way to the 10-yard line. And then Beckham hit number 24, Naz Valdez Benevente on a short pass for a touchdown. So it was 42-0 after the PAT, and this game was absolutely over. So yeah, just some overall thoughts in this one. Uh, this game went pretty much how I expected with the final being 42-7 Fairview. I knew coming in that Boulder was going to have a hard time trying to match up against Fairview's athletes or their scheme, and that's exactly what occurred. Boulder simply wasn't athletic enough to make any sort of plays against Fairview, and I truly don't think they could have drawn up a better scheme than they already had. It simply just wasn't, it just simply wouldn't have mattered that much. So some overall thoughts on Boulder. I think it was cool how many Boulder fans showed out for this game. Despite the score, the fans tried their best to stay positive and loud all game, and that's pretty cool to see. Um, as a team, there isn't much to write home about, honestly. They are, clear, they are clearly still building up this program, so I, want to, I don't want to be all that harsh, especially considering everyone saw this outlook coming. Boulder was simply lacking in size and athleticism compared to Fairview, and when you throw in that pass-heavy scheme, you know, Boulder definitely was at a disadvantage to say the least. Like I said, they are still building up this program, so props to Boulder for coming out and competing every week. Some thoughts for Fairview here. Beckham Kritza is the real deal, man. I don't know the last time that there has been a QB with this much poise, confidence, and pure ability in Colorado. He was decisive with his throws, and he was even able to improvise some big plays to extend drives. He finished going 14-17, 202 yards, and three touchdowns. And this game was really just the definition of like work for Kritza. The truth is, though... Uh, what makes this Fairview team is so scary is that they have athlete, athletes literally littering the field on both offense and defense. Jordan Rochelle is one of them, and he is a dog. He did it all for Fairview with a near-perfect red zone rushing ability, contested catches, deep balls, and that's not even talking about his ability on defense. Rochelle finished with three rushing touchdowns on four carries, 144 yards and two touchdowns on six catches receiving, and then on defense here, he added five tackles and a tackle for loss. All five of those touchdowns were in the second quarter, by the way. Another big contributor on both sides was Ryder Villarreal, who completely shut it down on defense. He finished with a team leading 13 tackles and a tackle for loss. And then on offense, he had four carries for 35 yards. You also had Jace Hines, who set up at least two touchdown drives with his work on special teams. He finished with two punt returns for 85 yards and a long of 50 Overall, this is a very exciting Fairview team. They are currently pretty far down in the Chassa playoff seeding index, but that is going to be a huge mistake as they are definitely one of the top teams in the state. Every secondary in the state should be shivering as Fairview is good for 400 yards of total offense in any given game. They have a pretty easy schedule to end the year, so it will be a perfect time for Beckham Kritza to continue to get back into the groove of things in this Fairview offense. Hello everyone, 
You are listening to the Playmakers Corner podcast. If you didn't hear earlier, I am Gideon, and today, or at least right now, we are going to be going over the 5A matchups in the Canvas Community Classic. So, first I'm going to be I'm going to be going chronological with this, which means first I'm going to go with Fossil Ridge versus Fort Collins, and then I'm going to be going with Rocky Mountain versus Pooter. So, let's get right into it with the game of the year in Fossil versus Fort Collins. And it was really back and forth. It had just about everything that you want from a game. And I'm really glad I was able to witness this live. Two high-powered offenses, a lot of good work by defenses, solid quarterbacks, a game winner. And let's just hop right into it with Fossil ridge start this one off nick kubat threw to brian bowerfind for 11 kubat then passed colton Pollack for nine and then Pollack ran for six followed by jake toshkoff running for 13 over two downs kubat scrambled for six and a first down before Pollack carried in a 12 yard touchdown on really really good blocking by the tennessee commit and gage ginther Valentin Goetz hit the PAT to go up 7-0 with 6.05 left. Goetz's kickoff was a touchback, Valenti, uh, followed by Noah Beck getting a tackle, which helped to force a punt, which Pollock returned for 25. Toshkov then ran for 9, and Kubat slid for about 5 yards. After three straight drops in the end zone, which added the FOCO student section chanting Butterfingers, Fossil had a false start on 4th and 10, but they still decided to go for it on 4th and 15, and it paid off as Kubat threw a 20-yard touchdown to Harley Schmidt, who quickly quieted the crowd. Uh, after this, Fossil was up 14-0 with 2.38 left. Uh, yeah, we see uh, Kyle, or Kai, excuse me, Mascarenas saving a touchdown, and after a few penalties the Sabercats did allow a passing touchdown to make it 14 to 7 with 13 seconds left in the first quarter Sorry. Fossil then started the second quarter with a three and out and after a timeout with 11:51, Luke Garvin punted for 28 Trenton Kincaid brought a man down, and after uh, Luke Kristen, Connor Vickers, and Mascarenas got some, Fossil allowed another touchdown to tie up the game at 14 with 8.52. Pollack ran for 15 and then 10 more before Toshkoff ran for 12 of his own. Kubat then retook the lead by passing to Luke Garvin for a 33-yard touchdown, and after Gertz's PAT, Fossil was up 21 to 14 with 5:23 left. Owen Wins got a tackle in the 45-yard kickoff, followed by Kristen, and the defense really—it felt like it started to slip this drive. Where after every Maximilian Spate-Haas or Mason Griffin tackle, there was a face mask, which cost the Sabercats a lot in penalties. This eventually led to allowing a game-tying touchdown at 21 points with 2.04 left. Toshkov ran for 15, and after an allowed sack, Kubat threw to Marcus Moser for 11. After a timeout with thirty second, with uh, about 30 seconds left, some short gains and another timeout at the four-second mark 
Gertz hit a p field goal to make it a fossil lead, 24 to 21, as time expired. To start the second half, though, uh, Gertz's kickoff was for about 55, and Tegan Slattery forced a fumble on the return, which Weskin. Weston Stefanski recovered, giving the Sabercats back the ball in their half of the field, where Colton Pollack ran for nine, and then Kubat threw to Stefanski for 15. Holding brought back a toss-off touchdown, but at, and after a sack on third and 19, Fossil did have to punt, which Austin Miller's leg got 20 yards. Uh, Mascarenas got a tackle, and then Bo Furrow helped to save a touchdown on a really long play. Mascarenas got a touchdown saver of his own twice in a row, but it ended up not really mattering since Fossil allowed a tutty to go down 28-24 with five minutes in the third. Pollack ran for 15, and then Kubat threw to Stefanski for 15 of his own. Kubat then got it to Marcus Moser for 15 after some penalties. Pollack ran for eight, and then Toshkoff ran for two and a first down to end the third. Pollack ran for eight more at the beginning of the fourth and then ran in a touchdown. After the PAT, this put Fossil Ridge up 31-28 with 9.54. Gertz's kickoff was a touchback, and then, Val and then Vickers, uh, he managed to get himself a tackle. Mike Homer got a tackle, but then Fossil got an offsides on fourth and short, allowing Foco to continue their march. Mascarenas got a tackle, followed by Jackson Wind, Gage Decklever, and then Vickers, who got a tackle for loss on the four-yard line. This forced a field goal, making it 31-all with 4.17 on the clock. Moser returned the kickoff for 15, and then Kubat threw him again for 15 more. However, after a couple of plays, the Sabercats were on third and long. Pollack carried the ball for six, but only got it to fourth and one. Fossil went for it, but got tackled for loss, so they were put on defense on the Fort Collins 46. After a timeout with 104, Furrow got another tackle, followed by Mascarenas getting a TFL and Wind getting a chase down sack in the red zone on a scramble. They were pushed back to their own 21 and forced a field goal, icing the kicker with about four seconds left, but the next kick went through the uprights no problem, losing Fossil the game. Now onto the defensive playmaker of the game for Fossil Ridge. I'm going to have to go with Owen Wind. And I honestly worry that Wind's performance may get lost in the memory of that game winner, but the field goal would have been much easier without him. He's the one who got the chase down sack to push the ball back to the 21 because it was on the 14 prior. Wind had his fair share of tackles and made his presence known in this one. He stepped up in the biggest moment it didn't end up really mattering unfortunately but he made his presence felt the offensive playmaker of the game in this one was colton Pollack, who was a dog he ended up with over 110 yards two rushing touchdowns and a reception for 12 yards and i i, I do gotta say Pollack is one of the better running backs in the state and it felt like every time he touched the ball Fossil moved the chains. And finally, our playmaker of the game, Nick Kubat, who is really living up to the family name while still becoming his own player. He still has some things to figure out, 
but going 16 for 21 for 200 yards, two touchdowns, and rushing for 30 yards can't be that bad, all things considered. On to Fort Collins in this one, who started this one with Joel Lopez's kickoff going for a touchback, his first of five touchbacks in six kickoffs this game. Lopez then got a tackle on the return where afterwards Quincy Elmore got one of his own, followed by Luke Little. J.P. Straubing brought a man down, followed by Lopez and Perry Archuleta sharing a tackle. After this, the Lampkins allowed a rushing touchdown with 6.05 left to go down 0-7. Sophomore QB Justin Cranford then threw to Joe Cottingham for 6, but after that it was 3 and out. Lopez punted for 35 and then got another tackle. Uh, Lincoln Worthen brought a man man down, but despite good coverage in the secondary by Cottingham, the Lambkins allowed a touchdown on 4th and 15 after some good uh, after some drops and good coverage to go down 0 to 14 with 2:30 left. Levi Hermson, uh, he returned the kickoff for 10 yards and after a false start, Hermson caught a pass from Cranford for about 30. Uh, Gerardo Rivas ran for three, and then Cranford targeted Hermson again, this time for a 16-yard touchdown pass to make it 7-14 to with 15 seconds left after Lopez hit the PAT. Lopez's kickoff was a touchback, and Elmore shared a tackle with Caden Souders to end the first. To start this, Lopez immediately got a lunging pass deflection that saved what would have been a large gain, if not a touchdown. The guy had an open field in front of him. And after a sideline warning, the Lambkins would go on to force a punt. Cranford threw to Cottingham for 11, and after a false start, Cranford did the same thing for the same distance, but to Trenton Price. Price then caught again for 9 yards, and then Nicholas Arizaga ran for a first down. Cranford then found Cottingham once more for 20, and Cranford then ran in a one-yard touchdown to make it 14-all with 8.52. Lopez got another tackle, this one in the open field, to stop another long gain, and then Souders got himself a sack, which was, I, I will say, was partially a coverage sack, since the secondary was doing so well keeping Nick Kubat from finding a man. Lopez got two tackles in a row before Worthen got another. Elmore got a pass deflection before Porter Park got a tackle for loss. Foco then allowed another 25-yard touchdown to make it 14-21 with 5.25 on the clock. Hermson returned the kickoff for 30, and then Cranford threw to him for 15. Arizaga ran for 12, and then Price swept for 7 more. Cranford then pulled off a great pass through traffic to DeMarco Sanchez-Ferguson for a four-yard touchdown, which tied the game at 21 with 2.04 left. Park got another tackle, and after a timeout with 156, Lopez got another takedown. And then Worthen got one of his own before another timeout with 138. Lopez got a hand in three separate tackles, and Sounders got another sack along with a pass deflection which forced a field goal attempt. Despite it being good, Foco only trailed 21-24, heading into halftime. Starting the second half for the Lambkins, we see Harmson returning the kickoff for about 28 yards, but he unfortunately fumbled it, putting Foco's defense back on display, which is good because they were having a really good night. 
uh, Souders and number 60. I It was either 60 or number 50 who is Aaron Estrada uh, shared a tackle before Souders got another sack. Three sacks against an O-line with a Tennessee commit in one game. This did help force the offense back on the field where Cranford threw to Harmson for 13. After a sideline interference call, Cranford threw to Harmson again, this time for 45 yards, where Harmson broke multiple tackles and stayed on his feet while four guys were holding on to him. Cranford would then pass to Cottingham for 10, which made a first and goal at the 10 for Foco. Rivas ran for three, and then Cranford threw to Cottingham for what would have been a touchdown, probably could have been a touchdown, depending on your angle, but it ended up being third and inches due to knees down. Harmson then ran in a tutty in Wildcat to take the lead for the first time, 28-24 with 434. Lopez's kickoff would touch back, and then he got yet another tackle before Straubing got another of his own. Lopez got a man from behind, and then a group tackle kept a first down from being worst. Aaron Estrada got a takedown by an ankle, and then Souders brought down a runner to stop a first down. Lopez got a pass deflection that would have been a pick six if he'd caught it, and then he got another tackle to end the third. To start the fourth, Lopez saved a touchdown with a tackle in the one, but a score got in anyway, putting the Lampkins down 31-28 with a 9.54. Cranford threw to Sanchez-Ferguson for 25 and then to Harmson, or Hermson, sorry, for 7, and after a timeout with 7.25, Foco drew Fossil offsides on 4th and 3, giving them a first down. Cranford threw to Har- Hermson again for 9 on 4th and 1, and then Rivas ran for 5 to stay alive. After another timeout with 5.02, Smumpty Downs led to Lopez kicking a field goal, which was good, making it 31 all with 4.17 left. Jordan Granados got a tackle, and then Souders got two straight. Souders also managed to share a tackle with Estrada, and then a group tackle led by Lopez helped to force a turnover on downs to put the Lambkins on offense with under a minute 30 left. Cranford threw to Price for about seven, and then dotted it over the middle to Sanchez Ferguson, who bobbled it in the air but caught it. For a gain of 25. After spiking the ball, Cranford threw to Sanchez Ferguson again, this time on for 15 on third and nine. After allowing a sack, Fort Collins took a timeout with five seconds left. So here we all were. 10,000 people according to the ticket sales. All transfixed under the bright lights of Canvas Stadium with five seconds on the clock. Fort Collins sends out their field goal unit, and after Fossil took a couple of timeouts to ice him, Joel Lopez took aim and fired one straight through the uprights to win the game for Fort Collins as time ran out, 34-31. Canvas erupted in cheers and groans, but it was magical. You don't see those often, especially from a winless team against a team with a four-star SEC commit and on to the players who made this upset happen. First, the defensive playmaker of the game, Caden Souders, who was really, really special. 
He had three sacks and at least eight other tackles in this game, and the sophomore made a really big difference. If he keeps playing like this, big things will eventually come to him. This was the type of game that really kickstarts a good career. Next, we have the offensive playmaker of the game, Justin Cranford, another sophomore. Cranford is everything you want a QB to be. Quick, decisive, accurate, and performs in big moments. His final drive is what all quarterbacks dream of. He ended this game 22 for 26 for 297 yards with two passing scores and a touchdown on the ground as well. Cranford's going to be a guy to watch for a couple of years, but he'll have to wait to be a playmaker of the game because of one man. And that man is Joel Lopez. I cannot understate the impact that Lopez had during this one. He had at least 15 tackles, a bunch of which saved touchdowns, two critical pass deflections, went four for four on PATs, had five touchbacks and six kickoffs, and not only the field goal that tied the game with five minutes left, but the game winner. And I will say, I called it. If you go back and listen to my FOCO preview, I said you got to play him on defense more. And if he wasn't playing on defense, the Lampkins would have lost this one. Lopez is the real deal, and here he is with his thoughts on this game. Goal to win this game, but you also hit the equalizer earlier. You had a lot of big stops and a lot of big moments, both on offense and defense. What caused you to be the spark in this game to give your team the first win of the season? You know, I just give them my 100% every time. You know, I, I have faith in my offense. They're going to do their job. So I got to do my job on defense so we can just play together. You know, it's all a team game. So as long as they do their job, we do ours, we come out with the win. Just like all right. What was going through your head during that last kick? They, they iced you on that first one, but you got the second. What was going through your mind? Oh, man, I was thinking of Windsor game. I missed the game when you feel going through, and I just told myself, not again. Not doing that again. So, you know, just kick straight ahead, squared up, and you know, had to make it through. Well, there we are with Joel Lopez's thoughts. It's good that he keeps his receipts and holds himself accountable uh, because nobody really thought this game was going to be close. I'll admit, even I thought this was one last chance to see Gage Ginther, Joel Lopez, and Joe Cottingham play. However, this turned into an instant classic and my favorite moment of my career so far. This was as good as it gets on the fi- on the high school level in terms of entertainment, and it was more entertaining than all but one of the state championship games I saw last year. Moving forward, uh, Foco will have to channel some more matcha, uh, more magic, if they want to get a win next week, because they're going to be playing Beckham, Kritza, and Fairview. But looking at it, they could potentially win two more games this year with how with how uh, this league is looking because they're going to be playing Pooter on uh, on Friday the 20th, which that's a team that's really been struggling. They now share a record of 1-6, and, and then they're going to be playing Boulder, which, I mean, they, they won this game in a blowout last year. I see it being another, uh, another big one this year. I mean, honestly, unless they... Uh, I, I do not see this team making the playoffs unless they beat Fairview, which is going to be a tough ask. Uh, I mean, never say never, but yeah, that, that'll that be tough. 
On to a team who will have a little bit easier of a break next week. We have Fossil Ridge, who, you know, they're going to be playing Rocky Mountain next week. And I'll talk about what Abe Chatilla from Rocky Mountain said about that game later. But that is a winnable game. Uh, I feel like the winner of that game is going to be the only Fort Collins team that makes the playoffs or has a playoff spot, like, secured. Because with how this league is looking, Fairview and one Fort Collins team, I think, is going to be who who ends up making it. But uh, Rocky Mountain, I feel like that's a winnable game. Fairview, kind of iffy on that one. I don't think Fossil's going to win that pooter. I feel like that's another winnable game. I see them going either 1-2 and two or 2-1 two and one for the rest of the season. But ultimately, that is all from me for Fossil Ridge versus Fort Collins. And now, on to a slightly more tame matchup between Rocky Mountain and Pooter. Alright, now on to Pooter versus Rocky Mountain, which was i mean it was a solid game there was a lot of good defense played in this one but you know it's not exactly game of the year material but to start this one for pooter colton mills younger's kickoff would be a touchback and i i I will say i do apologize i had to go up to the press box to charge my phone so this may be start a little bit sparser in defensive stats but i do have a bit where i know that brody van cleave got an insane tackle by clotheslining a dude and Ryan Vandiver got a tackle, all of which helped to force a punt. On offense, the Impalas got a first start before Nathan Neeson ran for two, which, along with a face mask, got seven yards. Braden Bay then threw to Mills Younger for 15, before following again to Chapman for five. Drake Miller would then punt for about 35, which showed a bit of a concerning problem. Uh, Pooter's line during special teams could not stop the Lobos' defense, and the snaps kept going too high. Pooter did manage to force a three and out, where Chapman returned the punt for eight. This resulted in another three and out for Pooter, but there was a penalty on the punt for fair catch interference, where the following punt, because Rocky Mountain asked for a re-kick, it was blocked which made it an 0-2 game due to a safety with a bunt that was much too high. Mills Younger's kickoff was almost 70 yards. It got from the 20 to the 15 on the opposite side of the field, and Jackson Thole got a tackle. Brody Van Cleve immediately got a TFL, and then a targeting play on a different defender brought it back 15 yards. Giangelo Blasbamba got a tackle, followed by Vandiver. After an unsportsmanlike conduct call, Jaden Simmons brought a man down before Pooter allowed a rushing tutty to go down 0-9 with 8.50 left. Bay threw to Mills Younger for 8, and then Neeson ran for a first down. Bay threw to Chapman for 12, but then there was a fumble, putting the Impalas back on defense where Mills Younger got a tackle, which helped to force a punt. Bay then threw to Chapman again for 13 before throwing an interception. Braden Meyer got a tackle on the INT before Matt Jimenez got a tackle, followed by Van Cleave. After some offsetting penalties, Cassius Garcia got a TFL, but the Impalas allowed a rushing touchdown to go down 0-16 with 127.5. Jimenez returned the kickoff for 15, and then Bay threw to Chapman for 8. After timeout with 59 seconds left, Pooter had to punt, which went 35 yards, before Ryland Minnick got a tackle and Chapman got a pass deflection. After one more timeout with four seconds left, Pooter allowed a field goal 
to go down 0-19 heading into halftime. That was basically it for this one, to be honest. Uh, number 16 got a tackle on an interception, and Pooter allowed another tutty to go down 0-26 with 9.57 on the board. Chapman ran for 24 on the kickoff, but there was another interception on an attempted fourth down conversion with about seven minutes left. Uh, Mills Younger and Vandiver shared a TFL. Quinton Orr got a tackle, and then Griffiths got, uh, Evan Griffiths, that is, got one of his own. Van Cleve and Griffiths got each got one more uh, in the quarter before Simmons helped to force a field goal attempt, which was off. And then Chapman ran for 12 to end the third. Bay threw to Mills Younger for 14 in the fourth and then repeated for 11, but then threw another interception, which was called back due to pass interference, but there was a turnover on downs anyway. There was a group tackle. Van Cleve and Vandiver each got another one. Griffiths brought a man down, and then the Impalas forced another field goal, which was basically it for the game. For our defensive playmaker of the game, we have Brody Van Cleve. Van Cleve was the guy defensively for Pooter here. I know that this isn't a game that screams great defense, but he played really, really good. And that that vivid image of me of Van Cleve breaking through the O-line and getting a running clothesline on the ball player on the ball carrier is not something I would want to happen to me. I would never want to line up opposite of Van Cleve on offense. For the offensive playmaker of the game, though, we have Colton Mills Younger, who was as reliable as could be. And I heard J.P. Underwood, uh, Rocky Mountains head coach, single out Mills Younger as a really, really good player, somebody to keep an eye on. And a lot of big throws went his way, and most of the... Uh, and he managed to get a lot of them he got much more yardage than most tight ends really ever get but he also seems like one of the two o-linemen that held them that held their own against rocky during this one and the other one was pierce decker uh next up we have the playmaker of the game for the pooter impalas who was logan chapman who on offense chapman was the main target for brady for a uh, braden bay but I'm putting him here for his coverage and work on defense. A couple of pass deflections. I, he was covering guys like a blanket out there, and he wore him like a cheap suit. He made sure that no big passes happened on his side of the field. And so I feel like Logan Chapman, he made... A, I mean, everyone here played two ways, but in particular, his impact felt the largest for me in this one. Next up, we have Rocky Mountain, who... As previously stated, I was a bit inconvenienced and could only get offense for the first quarter, which is good since the Lobos started on O. Abe Chatilla started this one off by running for eight and then five more. After this, though, the Lobos went three and out, where Danny Krieger punted for 25. Michael DeLapp is a name I was hearing a lot on defense from the radio broadcast crew, where he was getting multiple tackles for loss and breaking through the O-line on a punt, forcing a safety. Brady Mallett threw to Riley Tremble for 70 yards, but blocking in the backfield, they lost the Lobos, 40 of those. Due to targeting, the Lobos got a first down on an incomplete pass in the second quarter, and then Mallett threw to Charlie Sparks for 12. Chatilla ran for 13 and then for 11, and then Chatilla punched in a four-yard tutty to go up 9-0 with 8.50 left. 
Ty Huffer actually got a tackle that almost took out my knees before Nick Herms and Daniel Gonzalez shared a tackle. Herms then got a fumble recovery, and on the next possession, though, it was three and out, with a fake punt that was brought back by holding. By the way, I feel like I've seen a fake punt each of the last three weeks. It's weird. Uh, Krieger then punted for about 25, and then Herms got a tackle and a tackle for loss. Following Isaac Simpson, Isaac Simpson catching an interception. On offense, Mallet threw to Tremble for 18, and after some offsetting penalties, Mallet threw to Sparks for a 20-yard score, which Krieger hit the PAT on with 127 to make it 16-0. After a timeout with 106, Riley Honick returned a punt for 10, and then Mallet threw to Sparks for 16. Mallet then got it to Chatilla for 20, and Krieger hit a 36-yard field goal to make it 19-0 heading into the half. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to keep it sparse here in the second half. But in the third quarter, DeLapp got a tackle and Ryan Olsen caught an interception. Chatilla ran for three and then again for a seven-yard touchdown to make it 26-0, the last score of the game with 9.57 in the third. After a sideline warning and unsportsmanlike conduct penalties, Miles Hall and Huffer shared a tackle, followed by Dylan Green, who then snagged an interception as well. Mallet then threw to Tremble for 12, and then Cody Arnett ran for 9 on back-to-back plays. Chatilla ran for 7, and then Arnett ran for 6 before a false start, where after which Krieger took a field goal attempt that was off to end the quarter. In the fourth, Merrick Fox got a tackle, and then Green got another interception that was called back for pass interference. Green made up for it with a pass deflection and helped to force a turnover on downs, and then Mallet threw to Sparks for 12, and then got to Riley Burner for 9. Krieger attempted another field goal that was off, and Owen Ronzio got a tackle to end what was relevant of this one. For the defensive playmaker of the game, we have Michael DeLapp, who was an absolute monster here. The senior DT was a menace. He got at least eight tackles and is the one that I believe secured the safety on the blocked punt to swing momentum early in the game. Uh, Abe Chitilla, you'll hear him say later that the safety is what won the game for Rocky and really made it really the game that it ended up being. So defensive playmaker of the game goes to DeLapp. Next up, we have Bradley Mallett, who, uh, as a sophomore, had about 125 passing yards in this one, which is a much different story for Rocky Mountain than last year. Mallett is only a sophomore, but he has plenty of time to grow in this system, and it certainly helps that, for this year at least, he has our playmaker of the game to hand the rock to when need be. Our playmaker of the game, though, is Abe Chatilla. Chatilla was the second best player on this team last year, but this year he has become the 100% number one guy. You need two yards, he'll get you five. You need five, he'll get you ten. He may not be putting up the same production, but he is pretty darn close even without an all four corners lineman to block for him. And he's gotten even better in terms of technique as well. Without Chatilla, I don't think this game would have nearly been what it ended up being. And here's Chatilla for comments on his performance in this one. You had, I, I want to say, about 22 carries for 115 yards tonight, two touchdowns. What would you say was your favorite moment from tonight's game? The moment was the block punt. That got me really excited. I think we got our entire team excited, and it changed the energy in the game. Because yeah, I thought our energy was bad, but when we got that block punt, that was very good. That was very good energy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the main turning points in this one. 
But looking at your personal performance, a lot of people coming into the season, they see that this team doesn't have Ethan anymore. Obviously, you're going to miss a 6'8", 300-pound tackle, but you're still able to get that and produce. So what are you guys as a team doing to make sure that you can still get yours? I think as a line, we're trying to work together, trying to be right together, trying to be wrong together, trying to get all our combos right. And as a, as runners, like me and 22, we're trying to run as hard as we can and try to understand we can't, we're not going to get a pancake every play and that we got to make it happen ourselves. And we got to just take it to the other team. And we, got, we just got to be playmakers. And one last thing. When you're looking at Fossil Ridge next week, what's going to be your main goal for that game to get as much as you can in terms of the win column? I don't know, dude. That's for City. That's for City. That's a big game. If that doesn't inspire everyone around us, I don't know. But I think we just got to stop. We can, I don't know. On offense particularly, we just got to run the ball good. We got to run the ball good and take it to them. I don't think they're as physical as us, so I think we can take it to them. Thank you very much, Abe. It's always a pleasure and yeah, I feel like uh, I talked about this a little bit earlier when I was talking about that Fossil Ridge game, but I feel like that's a really winnable one for both teams. And whoever wins that, I believe, is going to win the city crown as well. Uh, I do think that each... Okay, so yeah, if Rocky... Looking at it, Rocky is second in the league so if they lose that game, then it's between Fossil, Fort Collins, and Rocky Mountain in terms of who wins the city championship. But honestly, whoever if Rocky Mountain wins out, which, uh, looking at their schedule, okay, they're not going to win out. They have Fairview at the end of the season, but they have, they have three more games left. Fossil Ridge, Boulder, Fairview. If they win two out of those next three... I feel like though I feel like Rocky Mountain is going to make the playoffs. Uh, probably not as a high seed, but this is it's like Fruit of Monument last year. It's like they were last year. They're a team designed to work on mistakes that that their opponents make. I mean, every team should be, but this is a team that is designed to punish that. They'll punch you in the mouth. They'll go hard. They'll make sure that you regret it. And, yeah, I feel like the only non-winnable game on the rest of the schedule is Fairview. They're either going 1-2 and two or 2-1. Two and one. Uh, But then, yeah, all around, I feel like Rocky Mountain, they've got a good chance to make the playoffs. Pooter, on the other hand, I don't think so. Unfortunately, the Impalas just, they haven't had it in them this season. I mean, that, that loss to Rock Canyon made me feel pretty solid. But then... Castle View, Prairie View is a game they should have won. Brighton, you lose, you lose forty-two points to Brighton, forty-two nil to Brighton. That's not a game you come back from. They did get that win against Monarchs. They're not going winless. And up next, they have Boulder, Fort Collins, and Fossil Ridge. They're beating Boulder. If they don't win against Boulder, I'm not sure what to tell you. But Fort Collins. I feel like that one could go either way. Fossil, depending on how this next game goes for Fossil, because that could really be a momentum decider. I think that potentially Pooter could win that one. Um, yeah, just because like Fossil, yeah, they do have a bunch of good players, but with how the momentum works against them in Fort Collins and how their defense was lapsing against what really should have been like an okay at best offense in Fort Collins... I am really concerned for them. 
if they it like if Pooter starts getting in a groove, if they start targeting Mills Younger and Chapman. So I feel like Pooter realistic like they could theoretically go three and zero for the rest of the season, but then that only makes them four and six. And with the strength of those wins, I do not see them making the playoffs. Um, but four and six is solid. It is way better than they did for five years before making the playoffs last year. So I feel like with the squad they have, they could go like that. I, I feel like more realistic is two and one, but still not bad. And that's all that I have for you today. I hope that everyone listening is having a good one. I hope that you're all staying hydrated. And yeah, I will be talking to you all again very briefly later during the Region 4 Girls Flag Football segment. Oh wait, no, we're doing a separate episode on that. Never mind. (laughs) But hope you're all well. Stay safe. Stay hydrated. Hydrate or dehydrate, y'all. And I'll see you all next week. Peace. So do you want to know what the best kept secret in running back training is? It's Mad Skills RB1 training. Coach Vaz is flipping the script and leveling up running back training in Colorado by implementing his proven, nationally recognized system of training. Don't be fooled by the name. Quarterbacks and receivers become fundamentally sound juke artists as well with his training. It's evident the athletes he trains love him. Each progressive training session arms the athlete with a new skill set that prepares them to be shifty, powerful, and elusive. Parents love Coach Vaz because with his training, they receive free college recruiting tips, no contracts, and no drama. Message him on Instagram at madskills underscore RB1 training or at Coach Cut Creator on Twitter X for more information. Offseason runs from January through July, so get in the cut and get some mad skills this offseason. Gideon, thank you for those recaps of that Northern Colorado action. Glad to see that you got some pretty good games out of that whole shebang and one that's arguably an insta-classic for time to remember. But I'm going to go ahead and take us through the rest of 5A here following all four of those recaps here. And I'll also kind of be talking playoff picture as I go here. And Thursday was a heck of a start for the playoff picture being shaken up like a soda here as we start off with number eight Fountain Fort Carson. And this is updated as of 10 slash eight for max preps and 10 slash 10 for RPI, which is when I'm recording it. But anyways, number eight Fountain Fort Carson. And these are after the games, of course, versus number 12 legend before that. I believe that they were flipped, or at least Legend was ahead of Fountain Fort Carson. Both teams had 100-plus yard rushers with Legends Jaden Lawrence and Alex Martinez both picking up over 130 and four touchdowns between the two of them, Jaden Lawrence with three of them. And then Matthias Price had 125 yards, a touchdown, and a two-point conversion as well. More on that later. As both teams did force turnovers, Peyton Auckland and Nate Sandy both notched a pick. But the Trojans scored on two of the turnovers with Tremaine Shaw taking a pick to the house and Myron Johnson taking a blocked punt to the house after Legend continuously commits penalties and keeps time on the clock here. So Legend, for all intents and purposes, with a few kneels and one first down, wins this game. But they continuously shoot themselves in the foot here and their punt for the creme de la 
Krem gets blocked, and the Trojans here score a touchdown on that thanks to Myron Johnson, and then they go for a two-point conversion that is no good, but a penalty gives the Trojans a second chance once again, and they complete the improbable comeback 29-28 to here with that Matthias Price two-point conversion. This win was good enough for Fountain Fort Carson to land at 8 in the index, and Legend dropped behind Valor to 12. Legend here has a huge game against currently ranked number one Pine Creek that is one of three games they need to win if they want to buy. I say that they need to beat Pine Creek, Regis Jesuit, and Douglas County for any chance to get back into that top eight for a bye week. Otherwise, they will have a round one playoff game. Now, Fountain Fort Carson has Douglas County, who should not be overlooked and would love to play spoiler to FFC's chance at a bye, but the biggest game I have circled is their Week 10 game against Regis Jesuit. Now, in other Thursday action, Coach V and I actually attended this game, so listen for the full recap here a little bit earlier before this segment, but Zay Nito and Kyler Vaughn catch for over 150 yards and two receiving scores, but Grandview does lose to Arapahoe. Arapahoe, number four right now in the Chassa Index with games coming up against Cherokee Trail, but then Cherry Creek in Week 9 and Eagle Crest in Week 10 are the bigger ones to circle, so they should remain at four here. And then with a chance to play Cherry Creek and Eagle Crest, maybe they can move up as high as two or one, depending on how everything else shakes out with other teams. But... I don't really see them falling out of the top eight unless they lose to Cherokee Trail. So for all intents and purposes, I believe that my alma mater here will end up with a bye. Now Grandview should have a pair of layups, but will end the season with Creek and probably retain their top 10 status regardless of how these next three games go. Obviously you win the two and then depending on how you do against Creek, maybe you're a top eight, maybe you're just a top 10. Now, Thunder Ridge versus Castleview, number 25 Thunder Ridge versus number 10 Castleview. Castleview won 49-7. They made it seem easy. Derek Gordon going 14 of 21 for 209 yards and four touchdown performance. All four touchdowns caught by a different receiver. Meanwhile, Ethan Gonzalez had 134 yards and two scores on the ground. And junior tailback Aaron Perry complimented nicely with 90 yards and a score himself. Evan Olds had a rushing touchdown in the last frame, but outside of Drew Press's 100 yards. There wasn't really a lot to talk about for the Grizz here. For the Cats, Jacob McConnell starred on defense with seven total tackles, two for loss, and a sack. Thunder Ridge here at number 25 probably needs to go undefeated or lose very close to Valor and Rock Canyon to have a chance to take the last seed in the postseason. The Sabercats, however, at 10 have Mountain Vista next, and this is their best chance to jump into the top eight. Mountain Vista currently ranked number six here and have a bye, but they'll have chances to double down and defend their crown against Rock Canyon that's in the playoff picture as well. So Castleview goes undefeated here. I believe that they will end up with a bye, but I think that they probably end up with home field in the first round, kind of no matter what. Now, number 24 Overland versus number 40 North Glen. Overland wins 27-0, getting a shutout win over an inferior opponent with insanely big plays like Jarius Ward's 81-yard touchdown. You know, it helps the Trailblazers cling to this final playoff spot, and they have quite the challenge to stay in the playoff picture as they compete for the league championship against Denver East at Denver East against the Angels. 
And if the Trailblazers play close and lose, maybe they sneak in, but a win would be more decisive in a game that kind of has win or go home vibes. So very important game for Overland here that can make or break their playoff chances. Now, speaking of just outside the bubble here, number 28 Westminster faced off against number 37 Mountain Range. They won 52 to 20. Mason here having just a great game as he almost always does. 15 of 19, five passing touchdowns, and then another 41 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Hunter M. Garden was the leading receiver for the Wolves here. Seven receptions for 163 yards and two scores. And then Dagan Gray having two scores himself. Overall, Westminster leaves with seven tackles for loss. Cesar Garcia led with two while recovering a fumble. And Reagan Garcia had a TFL and a sack. And then talking about sophomore Adrian Moreno went seven of seven for PATs, one of two on field goals, and had two interceptions. The Wolves will need some help as they trail Overland, who they lost to a few weeks ago, and they need to probably win out to make the postseason, but that includes a rematch with Denver East that seems like a big wall between them and the postseason, despite the fact that they'll probably end up with a winning record. So Westminster kind of in dire straits here following their loss to Overland a couple weeks ago. Number 22, A. West beat number 38, Lakewood. The kids were with it with sophomore Logan Duhacek chucking three touchdowns to fellow sophomores, Aiden Garcia and Jaden Nichols, as well as junior Ian Morgan. And then out of the backfield, Jaden Green and Adrian Samala, who were both sophomores as well, had over 100 yards and scores. The Cats also had a pretty insane 14 TFLs, headlined by sophomore backer Jackson Pyatt, Cameron Mayer, who had 10 total and two for loss, and then Pyatt and Rosner had a sack apiece. Four interceptions were all a part of a dominant effort for the Cats to keep themselves in the playoff picture. They will not win their next game, but their most important game might be against number 26 Pomona in two weeks, who could maybe make the playoffs with just two wins. (laughs) You You hate to see it. God, RPI is so stupid sometimes. But anyways... As Gideon recounted earlier, Fossil Ridge narrowly lost to number 32, Foco. This puts Fossil Ridge at number 23 and in a very bad spot here. They are probably going to have to go 2-1 and one to retain their playoff spot. And uh, also shout out Joel Lopez with a Herculean effort, sitting around 15 tackles, a pass breakup, 4-4 four of, four of PATs, 2-2 two of two for field goals, including the game-tying and game-winning ones. Gino recounted the annual Boulder blowout with Beckham getting back to what he loves, which is destroying the Panthers and keeps Fairview at 18 here. Probably one of the more underrated 5A programs. The Knights will make the playoffs and should win league. And Boulder is literally the dead last ranked team. Uh, Notable numbers, Beckham crits a 14 of 17, 202 yards, three scores. Jordan Rochelle, seven receptions, 144 yards, two receiving touchdowns. And four rushes for 16 yards and three touchdowns. That's playmaker of the week candidacy right there. Number 15, Denver East blanks number 31, Doherty, and wins 21-0. It wasn't McDonald's best performance through the air, but Sean Campbell notched 140 yards and two scores on the ground to help the Angels get by. Basically a lock for the postseason. East cannot really get into a bye or out of the picture, but if they win league and see any teams slip in front of them, they have a pretty strong chance of securing home field for their first round matchup. Now, one of the biggest pieces of news here in a Colorado 5A football here was that Pine Creek is ranked number one, having defeated now ranked number nine Regis Jesuit 
After trailing at the end of the first, the Eagles battled back for a lead prior to halftime. The Raiders would then respond with a passing score to Albert Medina to put the Raiders ahead 14-11 early in the fourth quarter. But then do-it-all Jonathan athlete Jonathan Core here kicked a field goal to tie it up in the fourth. Regis would respond with one of their own to go up with four minutes, but the Eagles would punch a score in with under a minute to not only retain a top ranking, but to jump ahead of Cherry Creek in the Chassa seeding index. Now, the Eagles are almost guaranteed to have a bye, but beating Legend makes it basically impossible to drop out of the top eight. I am not sure if finishing number one is as much in their hands as it is in Creek, who will play the currently ranked four and seven teams ranked in state. So Pine Creek, pretty strong candidate to finish one or two this season unless they lose. So Regis here is now at nine with a losing record, but are in charge of their own destiny with games against Legend and Fountain Park Carson ahead. Not next week, they have Shap, but that doesn't really help them unless teams in front of them lose. But should they beat both those teams, they will definitely get a top eight seed. Now, speaking of other top seeds, Mountain Vista here retains their spot in the top eight with a shellacking of Rock Canyon, who's ranked number 17 now, 37 to 14. Austin Madreski, 18 of 26 for 273 yards and three scores. It was Sean Conway's turn this week at the receiver position, going for 112 yards and a score on nine catches. Jack Blaze gashed the Jags for 121 yards and a score, and the Vista defense held the Jaguars to 4.4 yards per carry, which is an underrated aspect of this win, if I'm being completely honest. Now, Rock Canyon did have some playmakers like Cooper Malinike here, who had two of the team's four sacks. And Rock Canyon currently at number 17 is not in line to host a playoff game as of right now, but a game against Valor at Valor this Friday could be massive for their hopes to do exactly that. Meanwhile, Vista has to defend their one round bye this week, coming against another 6-1 squad and the number 10 ranked Castleview Sabercats. Rocky Mountain versus Pooter, Gideon recapped this game, but both these teams are ranked beyond the 30s and they will not be making the playoffs. Number 30, Douglas County beat number 39, Chaparral, 42-0. This is a great game for the 2024 class on the Huskies with Wilhelm tossing three scores and Stonebreaker rushing for 157 yards and two scores. Chap still has not won, and I don't think that they will against their last three foes. Meanwhile, the Huskies beat bad teams and lose to good teams, which is just enough to probably miss the playoffs. But if they did the unthinkable and upset Fountain Fort Carson, Pine Creek, or Legend, maybe they could sweep up for the 24th spot here if they're able to win one of those games in a crazy tight contested upset win. So the Huskies, I won't say that they're not capable of doing that, so I'm not going to quite write them out yet, but, you know, we will see. Now, number 11, Valor Christian thumped number 27, Highlands Ranch, Asher Weiner, having a great game, 9 of 12 for four scores, 170 passing yards and 59 on the ground. Gabe Sawchuk punching one in himself on the ground. And then for Valor, you also had Garrett Dial, who caught two touchdowns, but also had a sack and two TFLs. Highlands Ranch beating Thunder Ridge actually puts them in decent conversation to push for the 24th spot, but they would have to compete well against Mountain Vista as well as Castleview. So they're at 27, and they do have a chance. Thunder Ridge sitting at number 25. That win would help them jump up to that spot, and any losses that Overland suffers could pull off a nice little maneuver here for the ranch. 
Now, if Valor wants a chance for a buy, they need to beat Rock Canyon, but that's only a part of the equation as they have a game against Mountain Vista in the season finale that is their best chance to try and sneak into one of these top eight seeds. But I ultimately think that they will probably be playing in the first round. Now, this was a very surprising game here as number 13 Eagle Crest and number 19 Cherokee Trail had a stunner here. The Raptors survive a scare after only leading 6-3 heading into the fourth quarter. They score to go up 12-3, to but a score from Cherokee Trail on with under a minute left, I'm sure had the nest rattled, but they pull out the win. Junior quarterback Steiner of Eagle Crest throws 41 times, completing 22 of those passes for 229 yards and two scores. Josh Wiley, the junior back, had 120 yards. And it's just wild that with over 340 yards between just these two players, Eagle Crest still only managed to put up 12 or 13 points here in this game. Now the Cougars play, will they, won't they, with their junior quarterbacks. And it looks like Tyson Smith comes in with a touchdown pass and is put in late to give them their best chance after Ming had lost a fumble out of his three listed total fumbles. Now Eagle Crest here with a playmaker of the week candidate here, Logan Ryan, six receptions for 76 yards and the two touchdowns loomed large for the Raptors who might have fallen out of home field in the first round with a loss here. Now Cherokee Trail is number 19, as I said, and their strength of schedule with A-Rap and Grandview will probably keep them in the playoff picture, but they must win against Smoky Hill in Week 10 to officially stamp it. Now, the Raptors here feel pretty entrenched in the top 16 with this coming week against Creek, which, if they won, might shoot them into the top eight with some help, but seeing as how unlikely that is, they just got to play them and Arapahoe close while smacking Smoky Hill to have home field in round one. Now, number two, Cherry Creek smacks number 29, Smoky Hill. Creek only slid because of Pine Creek's win, but if they win out, they should reclaim number one. They may even get it depending on how they win against Eagle Crest, but they only have top 15 and top 10 teams scheduled down the stretch here. Five different tailbacks ran for touchdowns here. Smoky Hill might sneak in if they can beat anybody down the stretch, but I find that somewhat unlikely. But a win against most likely Cherokee Trail would be their best bet. Number three, Littleton West topples number four, Rouson Valley. Number 34, Horizon outlasts number 41, Rangeview, 24 to 21. Titus Zhang here went crazy for Horizon going for 109 yards and a score, but two lost fumbles kept this game very interesting. Junior quarterback Alex Birch throws one and runs one this game with his top target, Alex McCollum, scorching the defense for 107 yards on eight catches and the lone receiving touchdown. Now for the Raiders here, Jaheim Alexander did everything he could, rushing for 138 yards to keep the Raiders in this game. Now this game was for pride for both these teams as both of them are out of the playoff picture, but allow me to double back here for playoff picture of Ralston Valley here as they did slide to number five. I don't really think that they're going to fall out of the top eight. I think that they all but surely have a bye. They would officially stamp that with a win over Chatfield here in two weeks, but they should take care of business against Pomona in the coming week. Now, speaking of Chatfield and Pomona, Chatfield blanks Pomona 25-0 in their first game since Chassa hammered this team. I don't know what they were ranked before they forced three forfeits in the first three weeks, but... Chaffield has dropped to 14 even after this win over Pomona. And real quick, I want to just kind of talk about this and bring some news to light. And 
So they had a transfer, Micah Lumpkin, who came up to play wide receiver for this team. And a coach had already been suspended for the year. A damn good coach, mind you, in Joey Montez, who has developed some really great talent that is making noise on the high school level all over the state, honestly. So got to put some respect on his name. As a coach, I respect him a lot. He could be a little annoying interacting with us, but I don't think it warranted the slander that he received in the article from Chassa. And to, furthermore, I just want to really pin this on the adults here at Chatfield who let their own ego get in the way of Micah's senior season. You know, y'all are costing a kid, a child, a chance at a future by interfering with his season, undoing his numbers, taking away these games, letting him play for an odd four weeks. And to anybody that's like, well, maybe they should. No, 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 no. You should have the opportunity to put yourself in the best position to enrich your future, which I think is what Micah did. And I think that it was going to help out substantially over where his former situation was. And yeah, that's my opinion on that. I think that this complete wreaking of havoc on the Chatfield program, on coaches, assistant coaches, and on the kids, most of all, is sickening. And the adults that are responsible for this, you should feel ashamed of yourself. Really, you should. That you're letting your, like, Oh, you're letting seven on seven beef actually ruin kids' futures here. It's insane. It's insane. Oh, you make me sick. I hope that when you look at yourself in the mirror in the morning, that you're proud of yourself. I hope that you're proud of yourself for potentially ruining the life of a 17 and 18 year old uh, athlete here. Um, not ruining the life. He's, he's a kid that has overcome adversity already and y'all aren't going to hold him down for real, but Man, if you didn't just make it way more difficult and really just make yourself look like a giant stinky turd. Good for you. Good for you adults over there at Chatfield. Now back to the football part for the Chargers. They uh, remain keeping their head up tight here. Three different ball carriers go for over 70 yards and a score. Um, shout out Goose Shelp here who had a pick in this game as the Chargers recently just got blasted, like I said, with the three forfeits to drop them from a top 10, five and one to three and three prior to this win. If they go one and two, as I think they will, they are still a, probably a top 16 team. Um, and if they steal one of the last two, they could sneak in a little closer to the top 10, but there's no way that they get a top eight seed here, even with a win against one of those top five teams. I don't think so, uh, especially because they're kind of in the doghouse right now. Pomona is still somehow in the playoff picture at 0-7 and oddly enough might make the playoffs if they win their last two games over Arvada West and Lakewood at home, maybe taking Arvada West's spot in the playoffs somehow. And uh, yeah, making the playoffs at a wild two and like eight. <sighs> Anyways, the last game of 5A this week was number 16 Mullen that held off a late rally against number 21 Brighton. Koa Dietrich continues to just put on a great newcomer of the year campaign here, going 14 of 19 for four passing touchdowns and 228 yards, while adding another 61 yards and a score on the ground. 
Jordan Lewis was Dietrich's favorite target with four receptions for 95 yards and a pair of scores. And then Blaze McCarty on five receptions was leading the team and then had 78 yards. Not to be left out of the playmaking action here, shout out Sonny Donati here, who had a kickoff return for a score and 150-plus return yards on the day. Defensively, the Mustangs benefited from a solid effort on A.J. Guida and Liam Finney's shoulders, who combined for 23 total tackles. Mullen at 16 feels pretty appropriate this year, uh, more appropriate than some of the rankings in the past. Um, and their Newcomer of the Year candidate, Koa, is a huge reason for that as they head into a big matchup with number 20 Legacy in a game that will have a lot to determine if they get a home game this postseason. The Saints will still easily end with a winning record at worst of 6-4 and four this season, but it depends on if they will get a home game for the postseason or not. Now, Brighton, they could have used this win probably more than Mullen, but if they still go 2-1 and one down the stretch, that should keep them in line for the postseason. The biggest game they have left is, I believe, their season finale against the Lightning, who are only one spot ahead, as I formerly mentioned. So real quick, I'm just going to sprint through these rankings here. And yeah, just remind everyone where the buy is, where the cutoff for home field is, and where the cutoff for the final spots are. So one, Pine Creek, two, Cherry Creek, three, Littleton West, four, Rappo, five, Rawson Valley, six, Mountain Vista, seven, Grandview, eight, Fountain Fort Carson. Those are currently the teams that are scheduled to have buys. Fountain Fort Carson with big games coming up against number nine, Regis Jesuit but not number 10, Castleview, or number 11, Valor Christian, or number 12, Legend. But those top 12 teams are probably the ones with the best chance at ending up in a top 8 spot and getting a bye. So the teams that aren't in the top 8, Regis, Castleview, Valor, Legend, I still think that those are probably the best candidates for the teams not currently in the top 8 to get into the top 8. But a lot of these teams will play each other down the stretch. Grandview plays... Two, Cherry Creek plays seven, Grandview. One, Pine Creek plays 12, Legend. One, Pine Creek plays... Do they play... I think I'm tripping a little bit here. No, because they just played Regis. But uh, that game against Legend will be really big. Creek plays Arapaho and Grandview four and seven. So those are the big games there. And then Ralston Valley plays number 14, Chatfield, but I don't think that that's enough to overcome. Uh, Eagle Crest will play Cherry Creek as well as Arapaho in the closing weeks of the season. But I, unless they go 2-0 in those games, I don't think they're really in contention for a top eight spot. Now, Eagle Crest at 13, Chatfield 14, Denver East 15, and Mullen 16. Those are the teams that will have uh, you know, home field in the first round. For sure, yeah, I think it's just those teams. And then currently trying to fight for home field is Rock Canyon and Fairview, who probably have the best two chances at 17 and 18 to crack into that top 16 if anybody ahead of them slips up. And then the teams that are currently in the playoff picture at 19 is Cherokee Trail, 20 Legacy, 21 Brighton, 22 Arvada West, 23 Fossil Ridge, and 24 Overland. I honestly think that Cherokee Trail, Legacy, and Brighton are probably pretty safe here at 19, 20, and 21. I think that the most amount of opportunity for movement is anybody looking to take a West spot, Fossil Ridge, or Overland spot at 22, 23, 24. Thunder Ridge here, 
they got a tough schedule down the stretch. And they don't play any of those teams, so that makes it tough. Pomona, however, is 26. They will play Arvada West. If they beat Arvada West down the stretch of the season, they will probably sneak into the playoffs here. Highlands Ranch plays Thunder Ridge. Now, they have a lot more to gain by beating Thunder Ridge and a potential Overland loss to maybe sneak into that 24 spot. Westminster here, they're 4-3 and three at 28. And unless they beat Denver East and they win out the rest of the season and Overland loses out the rest of the season, I just really don't see that for them. That loss to Overland might have cost them a trip to the playoffs, as I alluded to earlier. Smoky Hill is 1-6. and six. They have a horrible schedule down the stretch. There's no way that they make the playoffs. I think that the last seeded team that could make the postseason is Douglas County. They are at 3-4. and four, But like I said, they have Fountain Fort Carson, they have Legend, and they have Pine Creek, I want to say, as their last few games. If they can play spoiler in one of those and go four and six overall, that one win might be strong enough to push them to like the 23rd seed. But I think outside of that, the teams that are almost for sure in my eyes eliminated are like Doherty, Foco, Rocky Mountain, Horizon, Prairie View, Pooter, Mountain Range, Lakewood, Chaparral, North Glen, Rangeview, Boulder. So I won't really talk about those teams too much heading forward in the playoff preview slash picture talk but that is what we are currently looking at here and that is also it for the 5a recap now we are going to talk about all the classifications here as we go through the playmakers of the week here brought to you by code red coaching where the grind to greatness starts with the mind try and call today to get set up for an appointment at 720-979- 1914 or visit coderedcoaching.com today to get set up for your first appointment and find yourself in the mental stratosphere of these playmakers of the week. Once again, call 720-979-1914 or go to coderedcoaching.com today to try and get your mental game up with our playmakers of the week. Gideon, Gino, and Coach V all hinted at who they might choose for Playmaker of the Week. If you haven't listened to those, go ahead and listen to those recaps real quick and then double back to me. But we're going to start in 1A with Gideon here, who had four candidates this week. We'll go through the candidates and then announce them as we go this time around. So Jonathan Thompson out of Yuma was one of his candidates here. 81 pass yards, but 141 rush yards and two rushing touchdowns, along with 13 tackles and attack for loss and a blowout win to likely knock Burlington out of the playoff race was his selected appearance. Yuma here really needing that win to keep their playoff hopes alive, and Jonathan Thompson being the heartbeat of this Yuma team is integral to that performance. Now, out of Colorado Springs, Christian Will Moore here put up a three-rushing touchdown, 185-yard rushing yard win here over Rye to secure probably a playoff spot. That was a very dicey game there, a very important game down in the Springs, and one that the you know Lions needed to win to have any chance of the postseason. You also got Lucas Boisvert here out of Peyton, who had a rushing touchdown, but then defensively, nine tackles, four tackles for loss, and half a sack, along with a rushing conversion in a two-point win over Ellicott to maybe try and keep their playoff hopes alive. Obviously, two-point conversion, two-point win. You see how that adds up real quick there in that performance for Lucas. And then last but not least is Azaria Hurtado out of Monte Vista here. 93 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns, 
along with six tackles, two picks, 103 interception return yards, a forced fumble, and a pick six came out of all those yards and receiving conversion in their blowout win against Trinidad. However, I think that the opponent kind of overrode the crazy numbers for Azariah there because the winner for Playmaker of the Week is Lucas Boisvert out of Peyton here. Obviously, keeping your playoff hopes alive is critical at any point in the season, but especially now. So congratulations to Lucas, the 1A Code Red Coaching Playmaker of the Week. Now, in 2A, this was up to Gino this week, and there's some familiar names here. We got a couple of rifle bears that went absolutely ballistic in the win over Basalt. Logan Gross with 189 yards and two touchdowns and only 10 carries, plus a 58-yard touchdown reception and an 86-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. I mean, gosh, I saw this guy earlier this year against Glenwood Springs, but man, every week I just get surprised. Like, is there anything he can't do? But, you know, not to be outshined or to outshine anyone, Isaac Valencia here ran for four touchdowns and 226 yards on just 16 carries for a completely zany yards per carry average once again in that win over Basalt. Now, oddly enough, we have two pairs of teammates here for the Playmaker of the Week candidates as Kafoy Fiadanu here out of Devlin had 18 tackles, two sacks, and four tackles for loss in their close 49-40 win over Bennett. But, spoiler alert here, the winner and the Code Red Coaching Playmaker of the Week, according to Gino in 2A, is Kevin Felden. Sophomore quarterback had himself six touchdowns and 258 yards on 15 of 25 passing in the 49-40 win over Bennett. Now, a bit on the lighter side here, 3A diet, Coach V only had two Playmakers of the Week. One was Ryland Cooney, who was 16 of 27 for 227 yards, two passing scores, and two rushing scores on 68 rushing yards. And then Tyler Harms out of Durango going 16 of 28 for 272 yards, four passing touchdowns, and 90 rushing yards. Now, go ahead and listen to my recap of Lutheran versus Holy Family if you want the live re, you know, recounting of it. But Ryland Cooney, for I believe the third time this year, is going to be our playmaker of the week here. Obviously, both these teams were getting big league wins, but the strength of opponent of Lutheran to Ryland Cooney here was way more important in Coach V's eyes, and so Ryland Cooney is your 3A Playmaker of the Week. Now, tossing it to 4A here, we have Gino covering this, I believe, for the last time this season here, and there are quite a few good candidates here. You have guys like Arvel Amos out of Palmer, who had seven total touchdowns. You got Jack Stewart out of Dakota Ridge, who had 198 yards and four touchdowns on six receptions in his win over Bear Creek. Trey Olson out of Loveland doing a little bit of everything, catching four passes for 139 yards and three touchdowns while also rushing for a touchdown and 91 yards on 15 attempts. So 19 touches, not even mentioning his seven tackles and one for loss on defense in Loveland's bounce back win over Grand Junction Central. Weston Hofschneider out of Ponderosa here had five sacks in the Mustangs win over Vista Peak. Oh man, I already I could already hear my guy Jesse here thinking, come on, man, five sacks in one game. And I hear you. I see you. I want 
I want defensive players to know that I see and recognize you, and that is a great stat line, but it's also so, so hard to argue with this incredible one-man show put on by Arvel Amos that Gino has crowned the Playmaker of the Week, going 4 of 8 for 117 yards, two passing touchdowns, rushing for 101 yards, and two rushing touchdowns, receiving for 82 yards and a touchdown, along with a 52-yard punt return touchdown and a 62-yard kick return for a touchdown. I mean, when you literally score in basically every... When you literally score in basically every single way, it's pretty hard to choose against that. And on defense, to be fair, this is what put it over the top, seven tackles and a tackle for loss. He was really just doing it all. The only thing he's missing is like a pick six, but I think two special teams touchdowns equals one defensive touchdown equals equals equals. That's a lot of points for one guy to score. Arvel Amos, Code Red Coaching Playmaker of the Week for Week 7 here. Now 5A, this is my domain here, and there are a couple of good candidates here in close games as games were getting really specific. You got Mikey Moynihan going 11 of 20 for 160 yards and three touchdowns to no interceptions in a huge league win over Grandview. You got Joel Lopez that Gideon talked about in that FOCO versus Fossil Ridge game, going pretty nuts with around 15 tackles, a pass breakup, and then kicking the ball extremely well, 4 of 4 on PATs and 2 of 2 on field goal, on field goals, including the game winner. Logan Ryan, who had six receptions for 76 yards and two scores for Eagle Crest. There are only two scores in that one-score game over Cherokee Trail. Both of those touchdowns mattering a whole heck of a lot to keeping Eagle Crest in the top 16 and not have them falling out of home field in the first round. And then I got I got to shout my guy out here, Koa Dietrich here. 14 of 19, like I said earlier, four scores, 228 passing yards, and another 61 yards and a rushing touchdown on the ground in that nine-point win over Brighton that puts Mullen in a great spot to take care of the rest of their league here and you know give them a chance to be pretty competitive here in the first round against a very tight 17 seed pending any movement up or down for them. But the Mustangs here looking better than they have in quite some time here with some stability under center as they have just gotten with one guy and they haven't really played around trying to mold left and right. But I'm going to go with the senior quarterback here. And yes, I am going to be a little bit of a homer here, but it was literally my birthday and Mikey Moynihan came to play here going 11 of 20, 160 yards, three touchdowns to no interceptions, and 15 rushing yards. But really, it's the context that matters here. As he showed incredible touch on big-time throws, the one to the back corner of the end zone was awesome. The fade route to Charlie Eckhart, it showed Simon and I a lot for how well this Arapaho team could do come later in the postseason having a solid quarterback, and having all of those other weapons around him that he knows how to use so, so well. I think that Mikey Moynihan is the walk-away, run-off, whatever combination of words you want to use here, Playmaker of the Week. So, once again, the Playmakers of the Week from 1A to 5A is Lucas Boyvert out of Peyton, Kevin Felden out of Devlin, Ryland Cooney out of Holy Family, 
Arvel Amos out of Palmer. Maybe the first Palmer player ever to win Playmaker of the Week, by the way. And Mikey Moynihan out of Arapaho High School. And once again, the Playmakers of the Week are brought to you by Code Red Coaching, where the grind of greatness starts with the mind. Go to coderedcoaching.com today or call 720-979-1914 to get mentally tuned in like our Playmakers of the Week. And here at the end of the episode, we're actually trying something new here. We have a new segment. Yep, in week seven. I know it's a little wild, but we do have a new segment here called Game of the Week Playmaker. So this playmaker is chosen from one of the games that we attended live. And so Gino, Simon, myself, and Gideon all have a conversation about who the Game of the Week playmaker is. So where is the playmaker of the week comes from whoever is in charge of that classification that week, which varies depending on the coverage schedule that we have. This comes from a conversation and is a group decision here. And it will be the same template basically every week. And it's just one more opportunity to talk about a player here. And so the playmaker from the Game of the Week, a.k.a. the Game of the Week playmaker, the Gatwapa, I guess. That needs some workshopping on how to say that. But that is actually going to be Joel Lopez, one of the candidates, obviously, for my playmaker of the week. But when talking with everybody across the different playmakers from the games that we attended to, Gideon was completely awestruck by Joel's performance in this last game and defensively what he was able to accomplish. And it allows us to get some special team slash defense representation here. And, you know, we've had special teamers win this before, especially kickers, just a few here and there. But Joel here getting FOCO their first win of the season and just going, just literally being perfect, kicking the ball, including the game winner to elevate Fort Collins to that win is good enough for Game of the Week Playmaker. So thank you all for tuning in for the Game of the Week Playmaker, who's Joel Lopez, the Fort Collin Lampkin here, representing for our very first one ever. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode where we went over all of the classifications in tackle football, had a lot of game recaps for y'all this week, and dropped our power rankings to start talking about playoff picture updates expect that heading forward through the next few weeks as we wrap up the regular season here but be sure to tune in tomorrow for our girls flag football recap that is going to come out from regionals that we were able to attend and yeah be on the lookout for tiktoks make sure to follow us at playmakers corner on tiktok for highlights of games that we attended and also for you know any updates on awards or anything like that and for more stuff like that more content in general follow us on social media at playmakers corner on instagram playmakers corner on facebook that gets all of the same posts we are at playmaker corner on x slash twitter so be sure to follow us on all of those we also post all of these episodes to youtube as well so go ahead and subscribe to us on youtube or turn on notifications for anywhere that you listen to podcasts whether that be Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts, or maybe somewhere else that you listen to podcasts that I'm pretty sure that we're on, like Brinker or something like that. But that is going to do it for myself here, Cody Stoffer, your showrunner, who is accompanied by Coach V, Gino, and Gideon on this recap. 
and signing off on episode 302.